Step right up. It's nailed. <laughs> I hope I hope that sounded okay. I think it sounded good. It sounded great. How'd you like that updated theme music? I haven't heard it yet. You haven't? No. Yes, I played it for you. Not the updated. God damn it. I don't even have... I play it for you now, but I don't even think I have a file ready to go. Well, you'll hear it. I have not heard it at all, so... Well, pretend pretend that you have. How'd you like that updated theme music? It was great. I can't... I'm going to sound so insincere oh because I haven't heard it. Doesn't matter. Um, I think it's fun. So, Jess... I'm Blake, by the way. This is Jess. I'm Jess. Ika. <laughs> Thank you for finishing the full, the full word of your name. Uh-huh. This is our first episode. We're recording where we know that people are listening. Some people, yeah. Some very cool people. Yeah. Some very nice and wonderful people. So that's a little different, huh? That no, I have nice followers on my other podcast too. Right, but I mean the first four halos. <laughs> oh, okay. Edit that out. It, sorry, sorry, sorry. I get you. Try it again. What I'm saying is the first four halos, we were just kind of recording to, to nobody. Mm-hmm. And That's this is true. the first we're recording since we kind of went public with our podcast and mm-hmm. got a, found an audience and people have given us feedback and it's very nice and people are very nice. So thank you for all the feedback, like all the nice feedback. There's been almost no negative feedback at all. And um, the NIN people, the fan community, like knows everything. They like know everything there is to know. So like all the things that we missed, they've let us know. And a lot of the stuff we learned as we were going. So I had to be like, yeah, yeah, I know now. We just didn't know when we recorded it. And we're learning tons of new stuff because people are letting us in on a lot of that nine-inch knowledge. That's a, a term I coined, right? Sure. How, what do you do? You have anything to say on the feedback and the reactions, and anything to say to people now that you know they're out there? No, I'm just glad that no man has threatened to rape and murder me. Oh, so God. that's really good. Yeah. Not, Thanks. No, not yet. Mm-mm. So. Or called me a dumb whore. So that's good. Oh man. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for thanks not everyone. doing that. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of great fans all over, all over the world. Look at the map. I, I see you out there in, in Scandinavia, in the UK, Scotland, Canada, Australia, of course the US, and many other places. So the reason we're here tonight, what what is the reason we're here tonight, Jessica? Well, on this podcast, we are uh, basically doing a halo by halo journey through the music of Nine Inch Nails. And tonight, we're recording, we're entering a new era for Nine Inch Nails. It's the broken era. We're leaving Pretty Hate Machine. It's gone. Five. I'm doing a five. We're now at Halo 5 Broken. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no messing around. No, no singles or anything. Just straight into Broken. The EP. God, what can we say about Broken? Well, can I just read you the the, the copy from the press sheet that was yeah. included so, with 12-inch vinyl? A lot of almost? us have... I was going to ask where that's from. A lot of us have seen this little thing that I guess Trent wrote and it was distributed around, right? Yeah. But it was distributed like to the stores with the vinyl? I just said that it was... What I found was it was included with a 12-inch vinyl promo. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So I think this might get us into a good mindset. Mm -hmm. 
Broken was a hard recording to make. Broken is an ugly record made during an ugly time in my life. Broken marks phase three of Nine Inch Nails, The Becoming. I'm starting to realize what this is all about and I don't like it. Broken was secretly recorded from March to August 1992 in a variety of locations without the permission of the record label to ensure it could fester without divine intervention. Now they just leave me alone and let me do what I want. Flood started out producing, but I ended up, I'm not sure why, Maybe I am what everybody seems to think I am. Nine Inch Nails is still not a real band with real people playing real instruments. There will be no touring for Broken. I'm starting work on my new full-length recording, The Downward Spiral, which I hope will be finished the beginning of 1993. Some will come along for the ride. Some won't. Trent out. Lilas. It, yeah, it's a, <laughs> Sorry. It says That's peace. a shout-out to my friend, <laughs> to Katie. Oh. Yeah. Does she end the letters with that? No, but she wrote me a, a fake... Uh, Trent journal entry. Oh, okay. And it ended with uh, Trent out lightless, which is a great way to close your uh, journal entry. And at the end of this um, mm-hmm. press sheet, it does say triple S. Sorry, so sloppy. <laughs> um, but that's a wild thing. It definitely sounds like a, a very young man mm-hmm. who's conflicted about his place in the creative world, mm-hmm. feeling some anger, lashing out at folks. I do like the part about this is not a real band with real people who play real instruments. Mm-hmm. It's like that That kind of sounds like no wonder I got so into Nine Inch Nails as a young man because it kind of sounds like me messing around in my um, in my bedroom with fake instruments and no bandmates mm-hmm. making music. So a lot of us out there obviously can relate to that. But what he ended up with was a record that sounds like a real record to me. It kind of does sound like there's a band there. Yeah, I agree. But it's deceptively simple. It's but it's simple and it's not. Definitely not. There's live instruments and there's there's sequenced synthesized stuff. Once again, it's a great uh, mashup of the two things. But whereas Pretty Hate Machine was was more like a uh, sample based electronic dub album with some guitars laid over the top sporadically, this is more like a record with the guitar. The guitar is like the star of the show. It is and front we'll, and center. We'll get into why yeah. oh, that happened. Okay. Yeah. I'm interested. Because in I have, there are a few reasons why Broken is such a departure from Pretty Hate Machine. Okay. And I'm I want to, I want to talk about what I, what the three main reasons are, I think. Okay. Because it really is. It's so, compared mm-hmm. to Pretty Hate Machine, it's this enormous jump in, in heaviness and griminess and dirtiness and uh, profanity. <laughs> I mean, you got an intro song, and then the second song, you got the F-bomb dropped like three times, and it's like, we've already surpassed our pretty hate machine (laughs) F-bomb quota, you know? Yeah. So he's definitely sending a message with Broken that I'm dirtier than ever. That part where he says it's the, he's definitely entering a new phase with with the music, and he knows it, but he said it's like phase three. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting because it's still so early in his career. But what is like, what is phase one? Like the purest feeling phase? Maybe. And phase two is like the pretty hate machine phase. Or it could be phase one was pretty hate machine. Phase two was touring. Oh, yes. And I, phase three yeah. was broken. I think you're right. So you could do it either way, maybe. I think. But and, but touring is definitely one of the reasons why the album sounds so different. I was going to we'll say, talk about that. I bet yeah. that's one of your reasons that yes. you had. Because, of course, touring, pretty hate machine sounds one way. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's got this poppy sheen to it this almost innocence but when they went out and toured it was you know 
a sweaty man covered in cornstarch, literally crawling onto the stage, tangling himself up in his own mic cable and screaming about, or scream whispering, about (laughs) fucking himself up and fucking it all away and (laughs) smashing himself up. Okay. I'm just saying it, it, it just, it got so dark so fast. Yeah. So. Yes. I, I think there are three main reasons. One is the success of Pretty Hate Machine itself and fan reaction to it and f- expectations, mm. right? Yeah. That that created. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is touring. And then the last is just label bullshit. Right. Okay. He hated so, it. Hated it. So with the success of Pretty Hate Machine, well, there came expectations from the label because it was... A surprise hit. Remember, they told him he ruined his career before it even started, that the album was an abortion, and then it became popular. I'm not talking Madonna popular, but it surpassed expectations that the... Yeah, you're right. And it's that thing, you know, the episode Bart Gets Famous, I think it's called, The Simpsons, where Krusty... So Krusty's like TVT, right? And he's taking Bart aside after Bart's first time on stage, and he's saying... Whew, that was a rough kid. Uh, some people got it, and uh, uh, you uh, you do not have. And before he's like, let me finish this outside. And he opens the door, and there are um, a bunch of screaming, adoring fans who love Bart suddenly. And Krusty's like, I own him. <laughs> and all the subsidiary rights. Basically, right? So, so that's kind of what TVT did. Yeah. So even before, though, like uh, Pretty Hate Machine became big, I think Trent's instant might, right? And when I was reading in um, the Assimilate book, um, I didn't know this before, but I guess that Trent would sign letters to Steve Gottlieb, the president of TBT Records, as your paycheck. So it's like, your paycheck, Trent. He was pretty. And then later on, he was like, Lilas. (laughs) But I mean, is that uh, when he writes, you. you know who you fucking are, and the liner notes have broken, is that to Steve? I mean, that'd be my guess, right? Yeah, he was not nice to this dude. No. But, you know, TVT did put a lot of money actually into marketing uh, Pretty Hate Machine. So it wasn't like they just, it wasn't like in the 90s when there were all these mergers between indie labels and and big labels. And so all these promising artists were just kind of put away that were on these indie labels and forgotten about, right? And just kind of brushed aside. And that's why so many of these like promising 90s artists like Poe, I don't know if anyone knows who Poe is. Um, Um, I... I've come to learn our our listeners a little bit, and I'm pretty sure they know. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but like artists like that who were probably going to be bigger than what they would have been, but because of these mergers, right, they um, were kind of forgotten. And But TBT actually did promote this album. Like they weren't like, this album sucks, we're not going to promote it, but th- they did promote We've it. We've seen the press materials. They're, they're out there. We've yeah. seen the condoms, you know. So, um, and I did think like an interesting, uh, also from Assimilate, the uh, writer, S. Alexander Reed, um, had a theory that one of the reasons for Pretty Hate Machine's popularity, um, where it went even maybe outside like the smaller industrial circles into like a wider audience was um, the use of personal pronouns in Pretty Hate Machine. So he, the author took all of these, um, I don't know, like landmark industrial albums that were released pre pretty hate machine right like the land of rape and honey right by ministry or uh whatever and did like a pronoun check and and pretty hate machine um pre pretty hate machine the average use of personal pronouns was 10.6 and with pretty hate machine went to 19.1 
And then the use of I was three times higher than most industrial songs. And he wrote, he invokes I and egomaniacal 157 times. And I wrote, okay, calm down. Egomaniacal. There is a... (laughs) There's a little bit of a point there. Nine, almost every Nine Inch Nails song starts with the word I. <laughs> Fact check that and you'll, um, you'll, you might be shocked. Slave screams. There's one that's not. Okay. Well, the, who is the slave? It's, it's you and I. It's everyone, buddy. Yeah. But he also had like his own reaction to the popularity of the album. And he said that, you know, when he was thinking about his next album, that he wanted to be tough and he was also very consumed about staying alternative and had this like indie bullshit mentality. And so after Lollapalooza, he had this like really snotty elitist mentality. Like you're not cool enough to like my band. Don't buy my records. And he wanted to make a fuck you record. Um, He wanted to kind of tell everyone like, I'm not a pussy. I'm not a sellout. Like he had this attitude. This is definitely 1000% a fuck you record. Yes. But it works. Yes. (laughs) And um, he even kind of uh, talked about this in, there was a Spin article in 1992, and this was before Broken was released, where he kind of teased, like, the direction of Nine Inch Nails. And he was talking about how, um, what was really disheartening is that he knows where this band is going and how much harder that the band is going to get sound-wise. And whenever he put out Pretty Hate Machine, he thought it was a pretty bold record at the time. And now he listens to it, and in retrospect, it seems like it's really light and sterile, is how he described it. Mm, And, uh, you know, he said, I've interpreted the songs a million times on stage, and if I did that record now, it would probably sound a lot different, but I didn't. And I just want to put it behind me. Now I see a lot of fans are attaching themselves to a side of Nine Inch Nails that doesn't exist anymore. So, like, people who are just now getting into Pretty Hate Machine or maybe never saw them live or liked that version of Nine Inch Nails are going to be in for a surprise with their future sound. Right. Yeah. There never even... Was there ever a a live version of Nine Inch Nails that actually sounded like the record Pretty Hate Machine? Well, that's another thing that we'll talk about with Torian is how, like, it was interpreted. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on what bands you're seeing, right? If you're just seeing a band that's normally just like drums, bass, guitar, it's going to sound pretty similar to the versions you hear on the record. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But recreating Pretty Hate Machine, it, you know, it's so so sample-based, so electronic that you could do like the, the that footage of the very first show with literally a reel-to-reel tape machine sitting back there yeah. with parts of the song on it okay. and then a few live instruments mixed. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's a it's a weird balancing act. Yeah, so let's move into touring then because okay, um, they went on several tours. So there was their first promotional tour. They toured with uh, Jesus and Mary Chain. They toured with Peter Murphy. They had their Hate Tour, the Sin Tour, Lollapalooza, and then they did a Pretty Machine European tour. Right. So there were several tours they did between um, like 1988 to 1991. The, so just almost nonstop. The skinny puppy one was the first one, wasn't it? Yes, and so. Whenever he was deciding, um, like, how to approach a live tour, um, he decided that after a lot of experimentation and trying to find the right people, that they'll just get a drummer and guitar player and keyboard player, and then he'll play the occasional guitar, and they'll put the bass on tape, or they'll sequence the bass, and sequence some of the loops in the background, stuff that's unplaceable anyway for people, and then ideally... That will maintain the mechanical element that's in there, but he says maybe it will come to life with real people playing. 
Yeah. And so um, he said, much to my pleasure, after a few months of touring, it really started to work. And the song started to take on a new life. These probably were the best times of my life when we first started touring. Hmm. But um, basically, yeah, he wanted it to be able to be interpreted live on stage and with real people. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's where the the more guitar-based sound came out of. And he credits that in the liner notes too, like my, you know, the new sound on this direction is, some of it is credited to my live band in 1991. Yeah, he does. He kind of says in the liner notes, almost like he wants Broken to sound a little more like the live band sounds than like the studio sound of of Pretty Hate Machine. Um, So on this tour, one of the stops, well, not one of the stops, one of the tours was they were included in Lollapalooza. Mm Mm-hmm. And originally, um, that was actually facilitated by TVT. It wasn't something that Trent wanted to do at first. He doesn't like festivals, does he? Well, that's surprising because he's playing at a million of them this fall. I don't think that's true because he plays a lot of festivals. I guess he has. Over the year, I've just, I've heard, you know, it's one of those rumors, Trent hates festivals, but he's done a million, so. Yeah. But, you know, touring festivals are different than just like. A one-day festival right. or a three-day festival where you're in one place and right. everyone basically comes to you. Anyway, so um, when they were on Lollapalooza, though, surprisingly, they stole the show from Jane's Addiction, which is interesting because Perry Farrell, the front man for Jane's Addiction, was the original organizer of Lollapalooza. So, And yeah. they even sold more T-shirts and merch than any other band nice. on Lollapalooza. Well, they had the uh, the coolest logo. <laughs> they definitely so. did. Um, and they were, even though they were low build, like they quickly became like one of the attractions. Right. So, yeah. Um, and Trent though said afterwards that it wasn't, he was, uh, sorry, he was being interviewed by Rolling Stone and he said, you know, reflecting upon like Lollapalooza, he said that it wasn't uncommon to hear someone come up to me and say, I saw you guys play and you were fucking awesome, but I went out and bought your record and it was fucking synth <laughs> F word music. Oh, come on, man. Yeah. And he said, we just weren't prepared. I felt like the Beverly Hillbillies on stage. And then. <laughs> okay. And then summing up Lollapalooza, he said it was, um, he said, aside from Henry Rollins deciding he hated me, it was cool. So. <laughs> Why yeah. did Henry Rollins decide I don't know. that? I was too lazy to look into it. <laughs> Huh. I feel like Henry Lawrence doesn't like very many people. Like, I feel like he's a cool dude. I thought he had a... a, a but I feel like he personally just maybe doesn't... If you rub him wrong the first time, he probably won't mm. care to try again. He doesn't have to. I thought his reputation was being a good dude, but I could be completely off on this that. This was 1991, okay. too. <laughs> he was, a, he was <laughs> a different dude back then. Maybe, but I I just think that he seems like the kind of guy who doesn't have a lot of patience. So if you piss him off or annoy him... Or maybe. Or he thinks you're a dick. Maybe he won't. Yeah. This is all speculation. Look, I don't, I don't know these fucking Look, people. Don't come after us saying things about Henry Rollins. We're just speculating. He always seemed cool to me, dude. So a song like Terrible Lie mm-hmm. is so fucking exciting and raw and heavy on stage. But you play the record with Terrible Lie. There's not one guitar on the song. I defy anyone to find it. But uh, it goes pretty hard live. It's also it's awesome on the record too, obviously, yeah. but a very different thing. So I understand, you know, yeah. metalhead guys or whatever kind of guys. Yeah. So as a quick aside, though, while we're talking about touring, is yeah. after Lollapalooza, he took Axl Rose up on his offer to open for Guns N' Roses in a stadium tour in Europe. Like there may be like three or four dates. I think it was like. Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, and and Nine Inch Nails, right? 
And so weird. Yeah. Doesn't seem to go together that well. Well, okay. I think Axel was a big fan. Well, who wouldn't be? Yeah. So, um, Reznor described it as one in a long history of miscalculations I've made with this band to spin magazine. Um, Mainly because there's a large difference between metal and industrial audiences, at least at that time, right? I mean, you can look at Broken as like a metal record, right? Yeah, and many people do, and I I understand where that crosses over, yes. Yes. Okay, so so there's a big difference at the time in the audiences that this building might attract, right? Yep. And then there's a big difference between playing clubs and festivals and then stadium shows. And so uh, also... There's a lag in the releases in the United States to the releases in the UK at the time. Mm. Um, and because of that, audiences over there were not exposed to Nine Inch Nails for as long of a period as American audiences had been, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a big lag. Hey, they had that kick-ass... Uh, but not uh, until 1991. Like single. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were still waiting to get their yeah. head like a whole 12-inch, the one that's better than the American one. <laughs> so um, anyway... Because of that, like, audiences did not like Nine Inch Nails. They were not... They didn't know them. They were not accepted at the time. And Trent said that there is something about standing in front of 65,000 people giving you the finger... Oh, my God. ...an intense terror would take over, like, every night. Yeah. How could... I mean, I've played plenty of shows to six or seven people. Mm Mm-hmm. And none of them cared, obviously. I could never imagine playing to a stadium of people who don't care. They don't know who you are. Like, what a fucking nightmare. And they're aggressive and they want you off the fucking stage. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we want Skid Row. We want Axel. We don't want this Fuck off. synthesizer band. Like, Nine Inch Nails so much more interesting than those other bands anyway. So. But how would they have known that at the time? They didn't give them a chance, man. <laughs> they should have. You know something that made me think of? What? Do you think Nine Inch Nails or Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana ever crossed paths? You never, I, I never heard anything about that. Like, were they never on a bill together? They were, they were going around at, I guess like. Do you count um, sleeping with Courtney Love as crossing paths? Oh, crossing streams. You can cut that. You crossing can cut swords. That. You don't need to keep that in there. No, that I'm was just a personal it. joke for me to you. No. T- tunnel Brothers. No, that's dirty. <laughs> okay. What was um, my word I invented? You remember my term I invented? That's the equivalent. I thought it was Tunnel Brothers. Or no, I didn't invent. Tunnel Snakes? Snake Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Snake Sisters. Oh, gross. I invented that. If you ever hear that, I invented that in like 2010. So. Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana had their debut album in the same year. Nirvana didn't blow up till 91. Uh huh. And Nine Inch Nails blew up ever so slightly before Nirvana did. I don't know. They're just kind of out of sync. In some alternate universe, they would have played an amazing yeah, festival. They together. would have played a great festival together. Right. I don't. I don't think they ever. Obviously, they never. As far as I know, toured together. Um, Very different types of live shows. Yeah, I don't think that because Reznor never did like VMAs, so it's not like he was on you know the VMA award stage with Reznor or never, with with Cobain at any point. There's never an MTV unplugged. Because you were thinking of the famous like Guns and Roses. Nirvana yeah. confrontation. At we the know VMAs. they shared stages. Yeah. Yeah. So you were just wondering if that ever, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Someone call uh, Trent Reznor and ask him if he ever crossed paths if they crossed with Nirvana. Paths. Well, we know they crossed paths later because Dave Grohl. Oh, abs- absolutely. Not at the time. But Dave Grohl crossed paths with, that, with everyone. Yeah. Our listeners are going to let us know on Instagram if uh, 
<laughs> if they cross paths, they're going to let us know. Okay. So do you want to talk about the label bullshit? Yes. Okay. So, so even though Pretty Hate Machine was successful, their tours were successful, their merchandise sales were successful, the actual album sales were really good. Um, Gottlieb claimed that the label still hadn't recouped the $40,000 that they had put into it to record. What the fuck? Well, ever. we all know that labels are fucking... I think this label was... Yeah, they're all... They're all awful. Scum, they will all do things like, well, we paid... We gave you a $10,000 advance, and then uh, we spent $200,000 on your album, so you can't get any money back until we recoup that, and then we're going to spend, you know, 50000 on your video, and you have to pay that back, so they're yeah. the worst. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um... Also, Gottlieb would demand clearance for Trent to work with other um, like side, pro- side projects like A Thousand Homo DJs, which mm-hmm. I think we should have a special um, bonus set maybe where we talk about Nothing Records and the side projects in more detail. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. like Gottlieb would demand like a monetary clearance for Trent's vocals to be used like in these side projects. So right. that was another thing like, that pissed Trent off was that Trent, that pissed Trent off was that he couldn't. Just do like creative things with his friends, you yeah, know, because you have to appear courtesy of TVT records. Yes. And then allegedly he wanted money from, you know, wax of, tracks of or whatever. Of course he wanted a, a piece. Yeah. Of course. Um, and also we talked about this earlier, but TVT wanted to control the sound of the follow up to Pretty Hate Machine. They wanted. That would be so shitty. <laughs> they wanted another synth pop album in the same vein as Pretty Hate Machine. They did not want trent to deviate from this formula that he yeah. had created right thank god trent was so bullheaded <laughs> that he would and i to my knowledge in his career after pretty hate machine and even during he never let a label or other producer tell him how the record was going to sound i mean he's a, a producer at heart in his own right obviously yes. so yeah he's so, yeah, and a control freak so so trent was starting to sue tvt records to get out of his contract hmm. um at the same time let's enter in a new character that no one's ever heard of before in this podcast i don't think we've ever mentioned mm-hmm. but jimmy iovine mm-hmm. he is a former producer and and recording engineer right he's worked with artists like springsteen tom petty Stevie Nicks. I mean, he produced yeah. Edge of Seventeen. So yeah, yeah. Um, he decided he no longer wanted to produce music, but what he wanted to do was create his own label where he could basically gather the best and brightest of people in his mind he saw as production wizards and let them create what they wanted and put it out there. Yeah. Like he would no longer do the producing, but he would kind of mentor and not really mentor, but gather these artists together and give them the freedom that they need. Right. So watch the uh, Defiant Ones documentary series. It was interesting, but I also felt like it was a big advertisement for Dre Beats. So keep that in mind, too. (laughs) That was about half of it. But still, (laughs) even with that, it was very interesting. And the Dr. Dre stuff was interesting, despite how self-promoting he is. But, you know, that's just him. Yeah. So um, he um, contacted. Sorry, he contacted Steve Gottlieb. He wanted Nine Inch Nails. If you watch the documentary that Blake just mentioned, he's talking about trying to get Nine Inch Nails. At the time, the biggest skit that Interscope Records had was um, Geraldo. And I, did I say his name right? Who? Gerardo? Geraldo? Geraldo? No. Hold on. I got to look at the... Rico Suave. Can you look up (laughs) Rico Suave? Gerardo? 
Ecuadorian rapper Gerardo. Yay! Okay, Gerardo. So the biggest get that Interscope Records had at the time was Gerardo. And if no one knows who this is... I didn't know that. That's... Rico Suave. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that that was their biggest get. Insert clip of Rico, or I'm sorry, of Rico yeah, Suave we'll right here. Rico. So, um, anyway, he really wanted Nine Inch Nails, desperately wanted them, contacted Gottlieb. According to the documentary, Defiant Ones, he was calling Gottlieb every day, four hours, trying to negotiate to... From the toilet. <laughs> basically, Remember he was in the, the bathroom hiding, like, from his wife That was There children. was a scene, he said he lived in the bathroom for a year on the phone and... Trying to get, family. yeah, trying to get Trent out of this recording contract, or buy him out, and... Right. By the way, guess who had no idea this was going on? Reznor himself had no idea. No one told him. He, he says he knew nothing about this. In fact, that's probably why in the liner notes he has a little note that's like, the slave thinks he is released from bondage only to find a stronger set of chains. Like, I think he's referring maybe to this this moment. And he he actually even okay. says that he felt like, and this is maybe kind of the, the wrong way to word it, but he said that um, he felt that he was slave traded and he was like, it wasn't my doing. I didn't know anything about Interscope and I was really pissed off at him. He's referring to Iovine at first because it was going from one bad situation to potentially another bad situation. But to his surprise, Interscope went into it like they really wanted to know what he wanted. And he said it was great after he put on his raving lunatic act. So, yeah, yeah. there was an interesting part. And let me I'll theorize that. Reznor was not clued in because Gottlieb did not want Trent Reznor to know that he was um, hot property, a yes, commodity. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't want Reznor to have that information um, so that he could, I don't know, lowball Iovine maybe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think it it ended up obviously turning out way to be a way better deal for for, for Reznor because yeah. Iovine was going to let him do whatever the hell he wanted. And yes. The way he tells it, can I say the way he tells it? Were sure. you going to get to that? Maybe, but you can go first. Well, when you said he puts on his raving lunatic hat, the way he said in that interview, in that documentary, that he decided he would, uh, when Iovine came to him and Interscope came to him, he was, he decided he was going to be the biggest asshole he could be, be super standoffish. You know, I don't give a shit. Um, you can, you can have me, but you can't ever tell me what to do, and I'm going to do my own thing. And also, I get my own vanity label, and I get to do whatever I want. Uh, he he gets to present one of those Ron Swanson pieces of paper that says, <laughs> I can do what I want. Yes, exactly. Um, and I mean, apparently just granted it and was like, all right, we want you that bad. You can you can have all that, that stuff that you said. Basically, yes. So basically, after Gottlieb agreed to... The buyout. And I'm sure there's all kinds of terms and, and things I don't understand that because went into TBT this. Because TBT re retained rights over Trent's shit for a long time after, I think. But only... Was it just for Pretty Hate Machine? Partial. Eh, I don't know. Because TBT's, you know... Did the logo also appear on um, the yep. Downward Spiral? Yeah. Nuggets? Okay, I thought maybe The logo continued did. to be on, on the records. So they owned a piece. 
Yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't understand how I that don't works. Either. Look, we don't know money. I'm yeah. sure somebody's going to tell us the details of it, but. And even if you told me the details, I would not understand. Yeah. I don't speak legalese. If you were, if, if you're <laughs> I a took lawyer. A, I took a legal writing course. I made an A, but I don't know how the hell I did because I yeah. did not understand what I was doing at all. I took a class on um, music industry law and shit, mm-hmm. but I don't remember most of it. So if you're a lawyer in the music industry, but let us know. Basically, like you said, Trent managed to negotiate complete control of all of his content, mm-hmm. being able to release music with no interference from the label and starting nothing records, like you said. Mm-hmm. So um, before we go farther, though, I do want to talk about Interscope because I feel like they, as one of the majors, along with like um, DGC, like they really shaped the 90s as far as like yes. musical sound, right? So even though at first I started out with just Rico Suave, like eventually... <laughs> Here, I want to list some of their acts, their 90s acts. So, Tupac, because of Death Row Records, which was Dre's. Wait. So, Death... Well, Snoop Dogg is on there, too. So, Death Row Records must have been... It was a West Coast thing. Yeah. I didn't realize that. For some reason, I was thinking of Dre, and I was like, wait, Dre's label was Aftermath. It wasn't Death Row. Death Row was Suge Knight. Yeah. But, so, Interscope must have distributed or owned, like, um, the, Death Row Records I can't keep track of all the, like, labels within labels. Yeah. But Tupac was on Death Row. Yes. And was part of the Interscope family. Okay. Right. So four non-blondes. <laughs> to switch gears. Yeah. <laughs> Bone Thugs. Okay. Oh. Okay. Oh, they're um, Cincinnati? Cleveland? Hang on. I'm sorry. I have... We're, we're all over the country, folks. <laughs> oh, shit. Bone Thugs are Cleveland-based. That's their whole deal. Cleveland represent. Okay. Interesting. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. So, seventh grade Jessica's favorite, Bush. <laughs> they were on Trauma Records, which was like a subsidiary. Across the pond. Mm-hmm. Helmet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Limp Biscuit. We're going <laughs> so to we're, jump, we're jumping yeah, ahead, jumping. but yeah, awesome. So, of course, Mar- these are in alphabetical order because I pulled them off Wikipedia, so I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, Marilyn Manson because of nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, My Life with the Thrill Kill Colt. Okay. Biggie. Tupac and Biggie. Queens of the Stone Age. Slipknot. Well, shit. Snoop Dogg. We're not even close to being at toadies. <laughs> there was a time when Interscope was, mm-hmm. ever, I mean, they're still a big Wait, they concern. still are, because we'll get to them now. Um, Rob Zombie, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Dre, as we said before. Obviously. And Eminem. So, like I said, the sound of the 90s. I feel like most shit I listened to, if you pulled off my CD, it was like 480 shit because of the Pixies, right? It was Interscope or DGC, like Nirvana. Right. Yeah. So... I mean, I have like the indie stuff, like probably Matador Records shit, stuff like that. But yeah, other sub pop, sub pop bands. Anyway, as far as major labels go, like they covered, and of course, Nine Inch Nails. So currently, they are the home to Lana Del Rey, Billie Eilish, Dark Room, Carly Rae Jepsen, Lady Gaga, all my faves, people, Kendrick Lamar, Machine Gun Kelly. Oh yeah, Maroon Five, Playboy Cardi, Tame Impala. Oh, yeah. Um, no doubt are still considered active in our signed to Interscope records still. Okay. And everyone's favorite and inspired by Trent Reznor fashion-wise, Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the leather gloves. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So pretty much just everyone across the board. Yes. Just Just a huge concern. Who Their parent company is, I want to say... 
Universal? Universal? I don't know. It was either Warner or Universal because I feel like those two things own everything. We should point... It's Sony, Warner, Universal. We should point out that Interscope is not... uh, Oh, they're not like They're not (laughs) self-contained. They're not indie. They are owned by Universal at this time. So that's how Nine Inch Nails came to be signed to Interscope. Interscope. So I want to talk a little bit before we get into Broken. Mm Mm-hmm. About the recording of Broken. So we already talked about how most of Broken uh, was written on, well, maybe we didn't, but it's guitar based. But we were talking about most of it was written on guitar instead of Trent's usual method of drum machine and keyboards. Mm-hmm. And he said initially he wanted to just actually do a whole album of guitar based drum. That was it. And while it would be different to him because he doesn't work that way, he was afraid it would sound generic to everybody else. So they did not. I'm glad. Yeah. Probably. I, I prefer the way it ended up being. Yeah. So his goal was to take a computer and put it into a rock band um, that kind of sounded like Led Zeppelin and then give it the same integrity as guitar, bass and drums because electronic music was probably looked at as synth F word music. <laughs> God, who says that? Okay. 90s dudes so um (laughs) and his theory was like if you're going to have a band that is guitar bass drum and vocal try to do something different instead of trying to sound like every other band that uses the same equipment and plays the same chords so yeah when they were recording what they did was we took those three instruments sampled them fucked with them and processed them and he said that it was kind of overboard and we did go crazy in making it and it's very dense too dense he said that it's overanalyzed. Every song has 20 different melodies that you won't hear the first five or 10 times you listen to, or maybe you'll never hear them. Can I? Well, for some songs, we're lucky enough now to have the stems mm-hmm. or the multi-track files. And in a bit, I'll play some isolated tracks. Some of those hidden melodic elements, some of those weird noises that he speaks about. There's really interesting stuff buried in there. Mm-hmm. So... um. Because of TVT Records and the pending lawsuit and, I mean, Trent had basically made it clear that they did not want to record with TVT anymore. He said he hasn't, at this point, reached out to them since Lollapalooza. Mm -hmm. And they made it clear to him that they were not going to let him out of his contract or let him have like a buyout or whatever, or buy himself out, I guess. There's always a buyout. It was just more expensive than he was willing to. Maybe. Do, probably. And so he felt like he had gotten this thing going, um, but it was already dead. Like, his career was dead. That's how he felt, right? Like, he couldn't. So what they had to do was he still wanted to capture these ideas he had, and he still wanted to do with the sound that he wanted to do. So he went ahead and recorded anyway. But what he did was he would book time in studios that he would pay for out of his own pocket. Hmm. And he would... uh, Basically, Broken was all recorded in secret. Yeah. So they would record under like um, fake band names, right? So TVT couldn't track them. So like the right. Stunt Popes was like a fake band the name. The what? The Stunt Popes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good name. Not bad. Uh, so um, that way, because TVT could claim the intellectual property, you know, the the recordings and He's release mine, them. I own him. Yeah, basically. Um, so they recorded in places like um, studios like Hell in New Orleans. I So that's in the liner notes? Yes. <laughs> Is that a real place? I can't, why would it not be? 
I, I that's I mean, there's a lot of in the history of Nine Inch Nails. There's there's a lot of great. Uh, there's Hell. There's Pig. There's the Pig. Um, yeah. Of course, no, it, I'm I'm guessing Hell is not the same as Nothing Records. Also in. It in, wasn't set in up New then, Orleans, right? right. Yeah. It didn't exist yet, as far as I know. No, um, they recorded in like Wisconsin, Miami, Florida. They were all over the place, all over LA. It was probably just between stops when they had a little break on tour. I, I guess, and he could record. So, um, and then he set up the recording studio in the Tate Home in Benedict Canyon, California. Um, they called it La Pig. It just yeah, and it just says. Pig in uh, the broken liner notes. Yeah. Did, he claims mm-hmm. that he did not know it was the Tate home whenever he rented it. He said that on a whim, he went to Los Angeles. He looked at probably 15 or 20 different houses in one day to possibly rent, to stay in and turn into a studio. And he said it was a really fast whirlwind tour. And he had no idea that one of them, specifically the one he ended up choosing, was the Tate house. And it that no one brought it to his attention. Do you think even though they, even though he thought they should have ownership was trying to underplay, play down that aspect of it that this was the murder house? Do you think house. that would intrigue you though if you were? Well, looking? obvious it did intrigue these these dark mus- musician types. Um, yeah, but if I were like a real estate agent and some goth looking kid showed up, I'd be like, listen, you know what happened here? Listen, some dark, <laughs> dark shit went on here you ever heard of a little guy named charlie manson so we could do episode upon episode hours on the tate house Mm -hmm. and at some point we will (laughs) (laughs) and Um, it's when we're going to talk about the downward spiral so so it was before broken or during the making of broken Mm -hmm. that the the tate house the pig Mm -hmm. first came under became rented by resner Resner and company that yeah that's interesting and that's where Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, maybe the majority of the downward spirals was made many other things. Yeah. Um, I do want to say when, when I was watching once upon a time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. the most interesting part of that movie to me was when they go into the Tate house and they do shots of the Tate house and everything. And it's like, Hey, that's the future side. How of, accurate uh, do you think it was? I the mean, Tate house has been torn down. Right. It, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if it was a set, uh, but it didn't really look like the gave up video where they're recording in the Tate house. So I'm going to say not very accurate. Tarantino should have done better research. All right. he had to do was watch that gave up right. video, right? Right. Like he, he didn't even mention Trent Reznor in that movie. Do you movie, think he asked Trent? Do you think he, con- do you think he contacted Trent and was like, can you tell me about the Tate house? He probably contacted Marilyn Manson. Do you think they're, but they're probably cocaine buddies. Probably. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I mean, we know. <laughs> Real ones, no. Oh, the fucking Tate House. But, but yeah, there's so much. One more on Manson yes. connection. Because yes. not only is it going to be connected through where this album was recorded and where the Downward Spiral would later be recorded, but I believe a manager gifted or loaned a piece of equipment to Reznor. And that piece of equipment was John Lennon's Mellotron. Yeah, the fabled, the stuff of legend. Do you know who it was? It was, it was Trent Reznor's manager that gifted it to him? I think it was like the manager of a label. I don't think it was like John Mall. John Mall. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it was him. Yeah, like maybe I, some label bigwig or yeah, something. Yeah, it must, it must have been a bigwig. But that's, yeah, fucking... I, I remember reading that lore a long time ago. You so know? I don't know if he owns it now, if he bought it. 
or if he had to give it back. Like, I know it was for sure a loaner or was loaned to him at this time when he was recording. But that, you know, the 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 flute sounds from Strawberry Fields, of course, mm-hmm. recorded on that Mellotron. Do you want to give us a taste of that? Yeah, I'll just do the the, the intro to Strawberry Fields. It. So that's the famous <laughs> Mellotron. The Mellotron, so. let's go to Blake's audio corner real quick. Okay. Do you know you know what a Mellotron is, right? I looked it up. Okay. So it's <laughs> an, it, it looks like an organ. Yes. Do you know how it works? Not really. It looked like there was some there's some type of tapes in it though, right? Yeah. It uses magnetic tape loops. So when you press a key, it presses a, a playhead to the loop of tape so like it'll have little bits of tape in it that play like a recording of a flute recording of a trumpet Hmm. uh, whatever you want really um but i i think they're manufactured with presets like the flute and trumpet and and a few others and that's why you hear those sounds so often but yeah it's a really cool sounding instrument were Uh, they really expensive oh god yes i think in in the short answer is is God, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> expensive then, way more expensive now. Now, yes. So, um, Sean Beaven, or Bevan, I don't know how you say his name, and I really, I think really... It's Beaven. Okay, Sean Beaven, who was an engineer who worked on Broken, he said that it still had um, Beetle tape loops in there. Yeah, and I don't know if they used the ones that it was manufactured with, or if I don't they know. had their own customs, or, or what. Did you learn anything about like where he used what he used the Mellotron on? Gave up is where it's the most noticeable. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, is it like those soft sounds in the beginning? That's probably. That's, I'm guessing it's those. When we listen to it, yeah. we'll we'll get into it. I know you hear it prominently on the on the album Antichrist Superstar. Oh, on a song that called, Mellotron, a song called Crypter Child, and I believe because Reznor produced that album, I believe it's the same Lennon Mellotron. Oh, that's sad though. Sorry, Lennon. I mean, I like, I always liked that album because it's essentially a Trent Reznor side project. It really is. It just sounds like <laughs> it just sounds yeah. like him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, uh. Anyway, Reznor liked the irony of using the Mellotron. That was the same one that was also used on the White Album, which inspired Helter the Manson Skelter. murders. <laughs> yeah. And recording it, using it in the house to record where some of those murders occurred. Just kind right. of a weird, ironic circle. So some really cool or uh, problematic. Yeah. There's a, there's issues that we'll get into later. And, you know. We'll his, talk about it more in Downward Spiral, though. His attitude changes over the years and uh, about the Tate House. But to put it simply, obviously, it's it's gonna if you, you know what the Tate House is and you're making a record inside of it, you're gonna be put in a maybe a weird mindset <laughs> or a certain mindset that is probably gonna affect how you you know go about your business, good or bad. Definitely. So yeah. So what else? I think that's pretty much it. I think we can maybe after we're done talking about the album and some of the covers that were done of Wish and. The covers that are on the album. Um, we can talk about like awards and reviews. Um, but I do want to say, can we talk about the charts in 1992 when Broken was released before yes. we talk about Broken? It was Whitney Houston all the time. <laughs> so top top tracks. Billboard top Billboard Hot 100, right? Mm-hmm. One. Oh, wait. Do we start with five and work my way back? Sure. 
Okay. Shakespeare's sister, Stay. I don't know this uh, song. <laughs> I'm shocked that because Josh knows everything. Is this the day that Broken came out? Is this what you're doing? It was the week. Oh, the, the week. The okay. charts are weird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, four, Guns and Roses, November Rain. Oh, figures. Okay. Uh, three, Bobby Brown, Humping Around. <laughs> what a song. What Sorry. a title. TLC, Baby, Baby, Baby was number two. So that was a late single off of their first one. Ooh, on the TLC tip. Someone's a big TLC stand. This here. was before Creep. Yeah. <laughs> Thank TL- you. Those, those first two TLC albums, they fuck. Okay. <laughs> so, number one, and this song is a banger. It's a Boys to Men track. Is it End of the Road? It's End of the Road. Fuck yeah. I love that song. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my sister had the Boomerang soundtrack, which that was <laughs> on when I was a kid. So I remember listening to End of the Road all the time and i wow. still have a fondness for it i had boys to men too the cd was yes. that on there no oh, this shit. was a uh soundtrack only i think i don't think end of the road was on tw- two look that it up and make a, sure that was a big single man. yeah but i feel like two came out the same year as downward spiral it came out in 1994 yeah you're right because about that. You're right. i have dubbed 1994 as one of the horniest years in pop history due wow. to the chart toppers i'll make love to you and closer <laughs> Uh, don't forget about Red Light Special. Was that 95, though? I thought it was 94. Into the Road is on the Boys to Men record Cooley High Harmony. That must have been like a re-release. I don't remember it being on Cooley High Harmony. 1991. Uh, what were you asking me about? You oh, were asking me if it was cra- on two. Crazy Sexy Cool. Oh, okay. The title of the- 1994. See, my brain's not as fried as you think it is. Okay, okay. So, yeah, it was a f- horny-ass year. The, 1994 was horny. I was in the car with my mom singing, Baby, it's yours, all yours. And she's like, <laughs> Jessica Ann, what are you talking about? You don't even know what they're saying. Me doing the T-Bot is like, I'll give you the red light. I can't do it. Red lights. She's got that sexy fry. Like, oh, I can't yeah. even. Okay. That's sexual fry. <laughs> So, um, as far as albums go, um, five, Bobby Brown, Bobby, four, Garth Brooks, Beyond the Season. I looked at the album cover of that. I did not recognize it. If it wasn't No Fences or Rope in the Wind, I'm not going to know it. (laughs) (laughs) Those were bangers in my sister's tape collection. Okay. Um, Pearl Jam's 10. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Clapton's Unplugged, and then Billy Ray Cyrus, Some Gave All, was number one. Um, I did look up, like I did a search through the list to see if Nine Inch Nails were on there at all. And that same week, um, Pretty Hate Machine was number 170 with 93 weeks on the charts. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's still hanging on. Yeah. (laughs) Still there. Okay. So the landscape was was strange <laughs> the not, 90s were weird was the, was the musical <laughs> landscape ready for broken i don't know yeah. i still don't think it is but i don't think anyone's ready for broken i'm still not but i say bring it on anyway all right do you want to take a break and then come back all right we'll come back and listen to the record sounds good we're back back baby <laughs> and we're going to talk about broken so broken released uh september 22nd 1992 production done by resner and flood so this is tracks. a mostly resner mm-hmm. production um and flood did a couple tracks did a few mm-hmm. 
uh, what was it? Wish, Last, and Gave Up. Okay, three. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, the versions are kind of interesting because when Broken was first released, the CD pressing had a little three-inch mini CD that was limited to the first, I think, 250,000 copies. Well, that's a lot. It's more than I thought. I guess that's why they're, you can get them for like $50 on eBay and, and not $500. Yeah, probably. So the main CD had the six tracks for the EP, mm-hmm. and the mini CD had the two bonus tracks. And Reznor kept those separate because the bonus versions, he said, were leftovers from a 12-inch that he said should have been released during Lollapalooza, but never was due to label issues and the ongoing arguments, I guess, over the music. He liked the cover and the the re-recorded version of, of Suck, though, so much that he wanted to include them with Broken, but they didn't fit. So he put them on the separate mini disc. So it was included, but not part of, if that makes sense. I'm going to argue that one fits better than the other. But I will yeah, agree. Yes. I, I agree with his reasoning overall. Yeah. Yes. And so because the cost of production was kind of expensive to do the mini CD yeah, after the initial thing. pressing. Yeah. After the initial release. Later versions of Broken would have basically tracks. Um, this is what the, this is the one that I had. This is one I had too. So tracks seven through ninety seven right. were just silence, right? And then you tracks ninety eight and ninety nine were the bonus. Content. And you had to press that skip button. I would just let it go. It was so short. Times. It was so short. Uh, I don't remember if like the the disc man that I used did it quickly. I don't think it went through it all that quickly. I think I had to sit there and like tap it oh i just let it go (laughs) (laughs) but you know another album that did that antichrist superstar and the track 99 wasn't even anything memorable so what was it i can't even remember i don't know some it wasn't even i don't even think it was a song it was just like some noise noise. (laughs) okay i could not remember like i thought it might be antichrist superstar but anyway yeah, and then also there was a limited vinyl release, mm-hmm. and this is very cool. It came with its own little seven-inch. Mm-hmm. Was it a seven-inch? Yep. It's a smaller. <laughs> I said bonus seven-inch with physical okay. and suck. That's right. And then we, what we have is the um, tw- what is it? Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen remastered definitive edition. Yeah. And it it also comes with a little, a little vinyl mm-hmm. with the two extras on it. Yeah. And, and also Trent said that with radio being as conservative as it was, he was afraid that they would try to play like physical or suck because he felt that those were more digestible than the rest of the album. And so he tried to obscure those tracks as much as possible. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I suck is really good. I, don't I can't know, imagine it yeah. being radio friendly. I, yeah, I don't think it works as a top. 40 song or whatever. I mean, but this is a dude who released Closer, so... Yeah, yeah. Closer by all It means. should not should have worked. Not. No, yeah. it shouldn't work, but no. somehow it did. Yeah. Um, the cultural zeitgeist, man. We were ready for it. Yeah. And the one we have, one side is... Um, one side of the vinyl is the six broken tracks. The other side is blank, except for a spiraled etching of teeny tiny little lyrics it looked like their hand scrawled. It's wild. I don't know if it was that way. I don't Probably know. I don't not. know how the original release was. If it was a one sided or you know three on one, three on the other. Someone will have to let us know on that. So we don't have that one. It'd be cool mm-hmm. to own it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's listen to this ugly record. <laughs> ugly. That's how it's described. Let's it go. It is. It is ugly. 
It's nightmarish, and I love every minute of it. It's hellish. (laughs) So, yeah, you see the, when you see the art, the cover art, do you think of the flames of hell like I do? (laughs) I mean, it helps that there's a song called Help Me, I Am in Hell. That's true. But it's like, okay, we're in hell. Yep, and that was also designed and... Uh, any photography was done by Gary Talpas. So. He's the guy that designed the NIN, right? Mm, and logo. probably the Nothing Records logo, too. Yeah. Um, so he's he's like a very simple minimalist, as far as I can tell, because this is just like super, mm-hmm. super minimal. It's, it's orange and yellow. And, and that's the a big same font in. that is used for the Nothing Records font. I can't yeah. remember the name of the font, but it's the yeah. same font that right. Nothing Records is. Right. So it begins with Pinion, our introduction to hell, <laughs> the hell that is broken. So without further delay, here we go. I should mention it's a little over one minute instrumental intro. It starts out pain. How does it make you feel though? Anxious. Yes. There's all this apprehension. It's the, you know. It gets louder. So it's this infinitely ascending loop of four chromatic guitar chords going up and all these foreboding sounds in the background the volume is increasing often been used live as a way to introduce the band coming on stage it's just like oh shit what are we building up to here because yeah it starts inaudible it's so quiet and builds and builds and builds deceptively simple four chords but all this shit underneath which we'll discuss Okay, do you want to talk about the... Yeah, let's talk about it. I And I hate to break apart Pinion directly into Wish as the album goes, but um, there's more than meets the ear on Pinion. There's some stuff under there I just re- recently learned about, thanks to Jessica. So other than those four guitar chords, what's, what's going on in Pinion? This has like one of the few samples in the album in it. I'm going to say that there are... S- there's some samples we no one's placed yet, and there's a lot of very I know, varied things. I know Reznor purposely tried to make this album as sampleless as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, but it still has. It some. still has some because there's a lot of noise going on that we don't know yeah. what it is. But it's not like Pretty Hate Machine or Downward Spiral, which are full of samples. Um, so Pinion has a lot of little noises, and today I listened through the studio monitors at a dangerously loud level but for for opinion it wasn't dangerously loud because it's so damn quiet but just to hear what's underneath there so as jess told me today first of all there okay so for the 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 record version there's something from the david bowie song called it's no game part one mm-hmm. and that's on the scary monsters and super freaks okay. which is a great album yeah oscar agrees it's a great album <laughs> and let me play Yeah. So yeah, there's two parts to this. There's the record part and the live part. And both involve this David Bowie song. So let me play the... It's from the outro, the very end of this song. So I'll just play that part. David Bowie screaming, shut up. We'll get into that in a second. Shut up! (laughs) Um... And so I believe um, this bit was taken and reversed. Here's what that sounds like. What ash? What ash? 
So take note of the, those guitar notes. Okay. There's the, the vocal. Okay, listen to those guitar notes again. Yes! Okay, I should I should point out, actually one of our one of our patrons, one of our one of our listeners, um, one of our our uh, Patreon subscribers. Uh, I actually found an old Reddit thread from Rob today um, on Instagram. That's Rob Cause ninety eight. Shout out to you. Um, thank you, um, Rob. Put a a Reddit thread up about uh, this sample. And pointed out that they used the shut up part from it reversed in the live version of Pinion or early on. Um, and uh, Rob made this little uh, recording that I, I, I stole and I'm going to play. So thank you again, Rob. Shut up! So that's to demonstrate the, the backward loop. The backward loop of shut up that sounds like wad ash. And then I I combined it with the um the live version of Pinion to kinda show you what what they did here. I think this was Woodstock, by the way. This recording's taken from Woodstock. Okay. The, the, they came onto the stage to that. So that wad ash is uh, <laughs> from that. Um, you don't hear it on the record, yeah. though. What you hear on the record is is interesting. Um, I didn't know this till I turned it way up. So the guitar stuff, uh, I believe it's back masked. It's buried underneath there. And I brought it way up. This is what it sounds like you'll hear the Bowie part first and then you'll hear Penyon. You hear it? Yes. Buried. And then one final thing that I thought was really interesting. This I have so many like little sound bites from Pinion and Bowie here that I got. I'm getting lost. But my my last thing from that Bowie song is I thought there there was an interesting comparison to be made between that bit and another Nine Inch Nails song. Wait, did you make that comparison or did I? I did. What song is it? You'll find out. What do you think it is? Is it the one I have on this list? Oh, oh shit. There's more. There's more. There's more. No, there's oh, more. Okay, okay. Well, okay. No, before we get to what my, before we get to my discovery, discovery in quotes. I don't just, know if this is a discovery. I just thought it was an interesting comparison. Yeah, okay. So and the, I, I've thought so it the, since I've heard it and I forgot to bring it up when we talked about this Halo, but. So Bowie, the Bowie shut up thing. And then I love how the end of the song is like, shut up, but the tape is like, the tape is being stopped. Mm-hmm. I love that sound of the yeah. analog tape going. 
Um, of course. Okay, so the shut up, uh, I think, is something, and Jessica obviously also thought that uh, Trent lifted for um, and down in it. I mean, just just saying shut up loud. Maybe that's not a huge deal, but I also noticed it somewhere else. It's not, but I also feel like we know that a lot of things he does are imbued yeah, with meaning. Yeah, we know. He, and Bo, he's very Bowie-fied. Yeah. He's a Bowie-fied man. So it's not the only time in his career, though. Here's a no. much later one I found. Shut up, silence. Nice. Did you ever think of that one? Did you? No. Did that one come to mind? Okay. All right. Finally, listening to those back-masked guitar notes. I was like, these notes kind of remind me of something in a different Nine Inch Nails song. And I don't mean to jump ahead here. I, I checked it on the keyboard. It's a lot of the same notes. It's a similar... I heard you in here fiddling with yeah. the keyboard. Yeah, Yeah. me okay. and my Casio. So, you know, that's Eraser. Similar little thing. Who knows if it's what if it's inspired by that? But I'd like to think maybe it is. Mm-hmm. So anything else on Pena? No, but it does start out getting you kind of uh, anxious, kind of tense. What's what's going to happen next? Very, very hyped up for Wish. <laughs> That's crowd noise. I'm still going to stand by that. <laughs> I, this one I'm going to say is not crowd noise. We'll okay. dissect it, but. This is the first day I think the first time I heard this, I had heard a lot of other Nine Inch Nails singles first. And I listened to this. I was like, what on earth is this? <laughs> now I understand how much it kicks ass. But I was like, this is so different. I just love how it starts out, like the very first lyric on Broken. This yeah. is the first day of my last day. It's like, oh, I'm dying and I'm going to hell and I'm doomed <laughs> and everything's fucked up. And I'm going to say fuck three times. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say fi- fist fuck. And he's 26 years on his way to hell. So well, we know he fucked the devil in the back of his car yeah. a couple years before. This big fucking hole. That's a great part. I'm the I one without a soul. Do you know how much that spoke to me? On my way to hell. Um, so we know we're going to hell. 26 years. It's. I'm 36 years now. Here's my line. I love this. That's Ooh. my. That's the title of my autobiography. Yeah. Pretty- you know me. I hate everyone. I hate everyone. Pretty sure that was something I wrote in my notebooks all oh, over man. in high school. Yeah. yeah, that's the kind of stuff you have to go to the counselor for. Yeah. <laughs> we but, hear you you're know, uh, dirty and dark, Jessica. Can being you tell us more about that? 26 years and, you know, feeling like you're on your way to hell. I, was, I guess I was 16 years feeling like I was on my way to hell. Mm. The darkness of this of this song is great. We know by now that this is a darker, dirtier album. The guitars are so much more front and center here. Yeah. And well, all this one, this is one of the two tracks that I have the stems for, so I can get into some little hidden gems. As 
we listen. What what stands out to you, Jess? That little, the fucking just the just the speed I of. I just feel like I'm being assaulted yeah. immediately. It's an assault, and the, the speed of the beat. This is not like pretty. One thirty-five beats per minute. Yeah. As um. And while he was angry and horny so on angry. the downwards, or I'm sorry, on Pretty Hate Machine. Now he's just angry. Now he's just <laughs> right. It's like I've given up on on uh, uh, regular sex, fist fuck. Okay. <laughs> I love this. I love all the guitar work toward the end here. Yes. As um. As Ixie pointed out, it's a great, it's a rockabilly train beat on the snare, the so wild. Little secondary guitar there. Crowd noise. Abrupt. I know we're going to abrupt ending. Stop. Love yeah. it. Love an abrupt stop. Um, uh, I'm gonna, it's not crowd noise. Okay. So what do you have to say about it, Jess? Wish is just a banger. Um, I was just going to say that. Uh, so Wish won Nine Inch Nails their first Grammy in 1993 for uh, Best Metal Performance. It was the first song uh, to win the Grammy that featured the phrase fist fuck. Oh, the first? How many? How many? <laughs> Bob Dylan never used. Actually, I don't think Bob Dylan won very many Grammys. Uh, he, he didn't win his... very much in the metal category. <laughs> Actually, didn't his first Grammy come like in Time Out of Mind? And like, anyway, it doesn't matter. Is the, yeah. Uh, skip, skipping over that. Is the is that award based on the performance of Woodstock? Nope. That was later. This was their actual album. Woodstock, I think they went for Happiness and Slavery. I'd, okay, that's right. It's I don't still, understand. It's still broken related, but it was like best live performance. I'll have to look it up when we get to it. I can't remember. I don't understand the Grammy categories. They're dumb and they're out, they were outdated when they were created. They're so. still outdated. <laughs> so oh anyway, um, and also the use of fuck three times. Yeah. But um, maybe they got the, uh, hold on. There was a version of Wish that was called the No Bad Words Mix. So maybe. What? <laughs> what the hell? I've never heard like this Like it one. was sent to radio. Okay, like so even though they didn't have out. like official singles. Yeah. The stems that I have have the bad words cut out, so a little disappointed on yeah, that. Yeah, it's probably the no bad words mix. Um, so maybe the uh, Academy of Recording Arts, whatever the fuck, got the clean version. Um, but anyway, shortly after Wish won the Grammy, Reznor joked that his epitaph should be Reznor died, said fist fuck, and won a Grammy. <laughs> so. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, probably not a lot of musicians, period, were, you, were using the phrase fist fuck, but mm -hmm. it endures to this day. Um so a lot of interesting stuff sound-wise going on with Wish. Okay. Let me pull this up. So it starts with the... As, as Beavis and Butthead said, what's that noise? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a crowd, but this is what it... It's, it's more like white noise or possibly even pink noise. That's an audio term. What's pink noise? Pink noise is different from white... Well... Maybe it's more like white noise than pink noise. Pink noise is every, literally every frequency firing at you at equal volume. And it just kind of sounds like Can you like give a, me an example of pink noise? I'll play it. It's just like a dull roar, really. It, it's pure noise. Um, and white noise has, is, gets louder as it gets higher, so it's, it's, it's brighter because it emphasizes the highs. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Pink noise. It's almost like the ocean. Okay. 10 hours of pink noise. Thanks, YouTube. Can I get a pink noise playlist for my uh, Spotify? I have 18 hours of rain sounds or something. It's nice. People in audio use pink noise as like a test of sound. Run run through your system to test your speakers and whatnot. I'm going to play white noise um, for comparison. They both kind of sound like rain or waves or whatever. Okay. Um, the noise on Wish, I think, is more intentional. And it... The thing about noise is that you can make it an infinite number of ways. So I don't know how he created this noise, but it almost has a a pitch or a tone. I okay, I called the file wish noise in D. It's most closely associated to the note D. It's no accident that that noise is close as emphasizes the pitch of the note D because the guitars come in on the note D. So like it's not just noise, it's noise that fits the song. I'll play that little guitar bit. So here's the noise in D. Here's the guitar in D. The most like affected guitar i've ever heard in my life like i can't i don't even think i can begin to guess at what all effects this guitar has run through but it's almost unguitar like it's so out there and wild and there's a lot of stuff you wouldn't know maybe unless you really got into the multi-tracks here so as that guitar riff comes in there is what I call the bass noise, which is really grimy. Sounds like this. Ooh. I love that. Yeah. That's... It's God, so that dirty. sounds like a, a engine. Like a... Maybe not an engine. I don't know. It's It's got a... It's probably synth-created. Mm-hmm. It's got a very machine... I, yeah. I mean, it's that literal industrial sound yeah. which is going to come up a lot where it's literally the sound of industry <laughs> um and then in addition to that there's a bass a synthesized bass which we hear a lot on this album not a real like you were saying it was kind of by design we have r- real live guitars and then a synthesized bass along with them so underneath that guitar part is that's that's so cool to me yeah that's really cool so dark and dope (laughs) um then when it gets to the chorus the synthesized bass changes up to something um, a little more interesting well a lot more like dark and evil and sinister sounding very ominous yeah Ooh. It's definitely it sounds a, like the entrance of like a, a scary monster villain. Yeah, it's, almost, movie, it's like video gaming. Yeah, like Castlevania, the boss is coming. <sighs> it's it's but it's it got me really tense there. Yeah, you okay. don't you don't hear it very well in the mix unless you isolate it. Um, later on, a little later in the song, 
you hear this. I, I call it the escalating noise. And it's one of my favorite parts of the song. Um, I'll just play it. It's noise that each, each time it, each time it comes in, it's, it builds upon itself until you're like, Oh my God, I can't take anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so much tension. It, it's going to explode. Here it is. Like, Sorry, Blake is doing hand motions, making a, like, hand motions and making his face more and more uh, tense. It, it honestly, like, yeah, some of it sounds like a jet taking off, and by the end, it's like, uh, you know, are, are my headphones going to explode? I kind of feel like I'm being scanned by a scanner. Like that must be what the sound is in your head when they're scanning you. Yeah, just you. like this, just like yeah. <laughs> this is when the scanner is shaking, <laughs> like his head's all. And then no wonder why that song makes me so fucking tense. Yeah, I mean, this album is scary. Like, that's a good... Like I said, it's a nightmare. When I was a teen first getting into this album, I was like, this is scary. My parents can't know I'm listening to this. (laughs) And I actually... Well, maybe... Well, I'll talk about it now. I think it's scarier than anything that, like, Manson ever did. And Manson yeah, was maybe. supposed to be scary, right. but I feel like this was. It was a, yeah, more it invokes hell more than to yeah. me than Manson. Because Manson always seemed maybe. like I've said this before, like so cartoonish that it was hard for me yeah. to take him seriously. I guess right. And this is, and I expected scary sounds like that. This sounds like it comes from some sort of real pain, especially yeah. we'll get to it, but especially the vocals when it's yeah. just like Trent well, see, like screaming how, his guts out. Yeah, and how I got like my Nine Inch Nails was I had Downward Spiral first. Then Pretty Hate Machine. So I was in like a Pretty Hate Machine state of mind, not yeah. expecting oh, the jump thing to in broken. between is so weird. It's a yeah. monster of an album and yeah. I love it. But yeah. The last thing I isolated was uh, the drums on the bridge section, which I don't know what to call them. It almost sounds like it's something out of world music. I don't know where it comes from, if it's sampled, if it's played live, but these uh, sinister drums. Maybe maybe not sinister on their own, but it's just like Are these live? I don't know. Are they the cuz I, I know, know that they have the there's a drum machine, but there's also a part where you have a second where Martin Atkins comes in and plays. Yeah, so this album credits uh, Atkins and also Chris Frenna on drums. Yes. We don't know who does what. But Wish, no, on Wish, it was Martin Atkins. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He was the extra drummer. comes in on the second verse. Well, yeah, so there are live drums in Wish. I didn't I didn't pull out everything, but there are live drums on the chorus uh, in different parts of verses mm-hmm. and... But these drums that we just played were not live. I don't, I don't, that to me, it sounds like a live sample of something, or maybe it was something played in studio by one of these dudes. I don't know if anyone knows exactly where they came from, but it's, it's not a traditional drum set at all. It's like, um, I don't know, some kind of, I don't know, I don't play drums. Some kind of unusual Tom-like drum sounds. Okay. Like tribal I don't know if I if I'm supposed to say the word tribal drums or not, but you know what I mean. Um, I just thought that was cool. That's cool. Thanks for breaking that down. Yeah. Do you want to talk about covers of that now while we're talking about Wish, or do you want to do it all at the end? 
Um, what do you want to do? What makes more sense to you? Would you rather go straight into track three or would you rather just, while we're talking about Wish, just get it all out there? All right. Well, let's get let's get them out there. We won't okay. spend too long on it. No, we're going to skip the brand new cover. Yeah, brand new covered it. A lot of bands covered it. Who else do you have? Uh, Linkin Park. Uh, I did not know this. Okay. And they're playing it at a huge festival. Oh, so it's live. Mm-hmm. So right now, actually, Chester, you tell them what's going on. Right now, we're going to do uh, something we don't do very often. When was this? Actually, I don't think we've, I think we've only done it once. We're going to play a song by somebody else. <laughs> How many of you have... Avril Lavigne is in... Is, yeah, she's in the audience, right? Well, then here it fucking goes. <laughs> Hey, they got the uh, they got the noise down pretty well. This is not really the band that I'd expect to do it. Why? I don't know. This is the first day of my last day. Okay, you want to know when this was recorded? When? Um, it was uh, in 2004. Okay. They're, they've changed the key here. It lowered it. Okay. Yeah. So okay. pretty pretty standard yes and i would say i don't know why this surprises you because i could see this band being very inspired by yeah i'm, sh- no, Nine I'm sure Nails, especially i'm sure they this were era. yeah because yeah they combine a lot of electronic stuff with with hard rock stuff and hip-hop right okay so so that's pretty standard sound yeah um the next one let's do a behemoth it's a very metal version <laughs> as if this song behemoth. were not metal enough they have a a goat head on their album art. It's pretty cool. That means Satan. Yeah. Ooh, this so they pick up the pace a bit. This is the first day of my last day. Whoa. I'm really up now, take a part, I'm really high as I'm down the Okay. Interesting. Let's, let's see who Behemoth is. I'm going to say they're European. Oh, definitely. Polish. Maybe our good friend Tom knows of them. They're a Polish extreme metal band. Formed in 1991. So they predate Wish. All right. So it's like it's like Wish, but, you know, got some metal vocals and it's faster. What else you got? All right. Uh, next to last, Rockabye Baby. That's right. If you have, or if you want to be lulled to sleep by a lullaby, guess what? You can do that and you can do it with Wish. Uh, I didn't look this up before oh, but okay is it like it's by rockabye baby fist fuck baby <laughs> no there's no it's it's an, it's an instrumental they're not singing oh so they don't say fist fuck no 
course not. It's for your children. Lullaby renditions of Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Little piggies on the cover. The piggies are holding nails that make a letter N, by yeah. the way. Cute. Very cute. <laughs> this, this is terrifying, by the way. Yeah, do you want your child to, like, no nightmares of hell? This sounds like a scary movie score. Six months on my way to hell. <laughs> this is sinister, dude. You know me, I poop everywhere. <laughs> My lord. (laughs) (laughs) This is not soothing. No, not at all. I wonder who is the audience for. Well, okay, I know who the audience is. Mm -hmm. It's Nine Inch Nails fans who happen to have children. Or who like to be lulled to sleep by a nice lullaby. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> okay, I think we understand. Okay, what's we got it. I'm the one without a this big fucking uh, diaper? I don't know. Got a fully loaded diapie. Okay, ready? Yep. Last one is actually... Another band with Nine Inch Nails. Look up Dillinger Escape Plan. This was recorded Ooh. in 2009. And uh, it was recorded at the Soundwave Festival in Perth, Australia. And there's a good Coldplay joke at the beginning that Trent Reznor makes. So we all like oh, those, right? I cannot wait for this. Hey! Thank you. By the way, this is for us, and I hope it's been good for you. the hardest fucking version ever. Wow. Well, it's still in your escape plan. So. You know, it's that time of the night where we feel like we should do something, uh, something special, you know? <laughs> well, I want to share something with you. You know, every once in a while, a band comes along that really kind of blows us away. His voice is and, about uh, shredded. Well, that, that has happened. There's a band that's really kind of blown us all away. And uh, that band is obviously Coldplay. <laughs> we invited them here tonight, but none of them showed up. So we That's good. Uh, Chris Martin, you fucked up. That's pretty good. That's pretty funny. Yeah. What? How about we bring the whole Dillinger Escape Plan out? Take that Coldplay, you pieces of shit. Come on, you pussies. Get out of here. I would lose my fucking shit if I were there. This is the first day of my last day. Build it up, now take it apart. Climbed up through a line, I'll fall down the park. No need for me to say the last thing left. Well, I just threw it away. It's pretty close to the... NIN live version. You know? It is. Just a different vocalist. Yes. Dillinger Escape Planner, like, it's so nice to not have to play a song in, in 13 7 time. <laughs> okay. This is like the 
yeah, the, the lightest song they've played the whole their whole show. Okay. That's that's pretty cool. I would like to. I wish I could have been there. Pretty cool. All right, let's go to the next track. Last. Let's go to last. All right. I just want to say. I believe that Last is highly underrated. I think so, too. And also, I think it's our first pig reference in the history of Nine Inch Nails. I believe it at is. At least in recorded. First time he talks about pigs. It's got, I think, I've always loved the guitars in this, by the way. Always, always. Yeah, it's got the coolest guitar riff right out the gate. I wrote, as a note, I wrote, at the time I've heard this, I remember thinking... That at the time, it was the most metal thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like a bad bitch when I listened to it. <laughs> I did, too. I felt like a bad bitch. And yeah. like now, you know, I know metal fans and they probably wouldn't think it was. Oh, probably not. But as someone who just listened exclusively to like Among the Pixies, nine, yeah. Beck, yeah, it's Nirvana, like it's definitely. It's more metal than most of the Nine Inch Nails discography. We can say yes, that. Yes, for sure underplayed can't believe it doesn't have like its own video i i hate that it's left out of the broken movie because <laughs> it's one of my faves uh here goes last so this is one that they Rarely ever played live. Mm-hmm. Um, I left a note that said not performed live until 2007. Question mark, question mark. I think that's correct on the year zero touring, um, and which is insane. But I, I, I know Trent Reznor at some point said, um, understandably so, it's too hard vocally. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he absolutely ripped his vocal cords out while recording yes i'll play some isolated vocal parts but um he shrieks in the you know the the second third verses here there's such an evil and angry energy in the vocals yeah it's got that I feel like the difference between like the kind of anger that I got from like bands like Nirvana was more disaffected. Yeah. And in like kind of I don't want to say ironic, but kind of in a, a different detached. Yes, very detached. And this is a very this is, visceral yes. anger. This part, so the chorus or whatever you wanna call it. Just those snare hits on every downbeat. I think uh, Rap Genius called it the hook. They didn't call yeah. it the chorus. They called you know, it. hook and chorus pretty much mean the same thing. But. So I guess just genius. Yeah, I said just Rap Genius. genius. Sorry. Now. Yeah. Used to be Rap Genius. A lot of cool sounds in here. Uh, I think it's going into the third verse, which I love that the guitar part changes up here into this really cool thing. Wait for it. Fucking look. God, he's like shrieking his lungs out. Yeah, I 
dress up this rotten carcass. I always love that Ooh. line. Just to make it look alive. So dark. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some ways it's it's a simple song. It's just so well constructed. Very balls to the wall song. I like this in the background. There's a lot of like background counter melody vocals going on. Part with wish I could put the blame on you. That thing. And then it kind of just goes into a long outro of the main guitar riff. Yeah, a lot of chugga chugga chugging going on. Love chugga chugga chugging. And then you hear that little synth bass underneath, which is so awesome. Do you think this, let me ask you this, I know the answer. Do you think this song has a live drummer? Wow, I'm afraid of being wrong. No, I'm gonna say no. Okay, well, I wanted, I mean, I kind of just assumed that it did the first time I heard it. I don't know if you did. Because it, you know. It seems like it should though, because of that. It seems like a standard metal band setup, you know, with a drummer. And live, live drums, live guitar. But I feel like with most of these songs, there's something a little off on purpose. Yeah. So it wouldn't right. surprise me if this was not a all live these, drum set. Yeah, it, there's no, there are no real drums in this song, I assure you. Okay. And I'll, I'll show you later. But all those. Oh, oh I love that. that. Can we decay, do that decay, That decay, that. <laughs> throw me away. Oh, I can't do it. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. This is the this is the last time I'll do this because it's the only other song on here that I could find the stems for. Okay. No but, stems for gave up. No, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I wish I could have all the stems for all the albums ever. Where do I start? There's so much. It's not that much. So y'all are gonna get a five hour podcast. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's broken. Like it deserves it. It's true. Um, watch Downward Spiral will be like an eight-hour long podcast. We'll have to divide it up. <laughs> yeah. That's the only um, way to get through it. So as we were talking about earlier, of course, live guitar in your face, but a synthesized bass is what the synth bass sounds like in the verse. I love that. That is, That's yeah. so cool. But when you get to the chorus, it has a really cool live, uh, actual bass, bass part that I didn't really realize was there until I, I soloed this up. So this is live in the chorus? Yeah, it's okay. almost punk rocky. Okay. Oh. I thought that was pretty cool. I like watching Blake play air bass. I was pretending to play a bass <laughs> like I know what I'm doing. And then uh, in the chorus there, it, it's actually that what I just played was more like a pre-chorus section when he's doing the come, come, come on, gotta fill you up. 
Uh, gotta, gotta fill me up. Fill me up. Yeah. Oh, there's. Although this, you know, this, he could fill. This whole song up. is like fill me up, come inside of you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You get the gist. After that pre-chorus comes the it wasn't this wasn't meant to last chorus or hook section, and mm-hmm. that synth bass is wild, folks. Here it is. So damn okay. That I totally hear that kind of synth patch on the downward spiral in several different places. It sounds like shit that you hear on Closer, or maybe a few other songs. I can't. It's not on the tip of my tongue here, but this is meant to last. Like I'm pretty sure a, a similar sounding synth bass is toward the end of Closer. Yeah. Um. Very cool sound. Um, and then during that part, we got the these crazy background vocals. Um, talk about coming inside of you. Come, 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 come. First of all, I love this deep inhale. Jess is too turned on. Uh oh. The scariest and sexiest I've ever uh, felt. No, it's too sexual, honestly. <laughs> so wild Oof. hang on I got okay and then of course okay where I talked about him shredding his lungs out with it vocally the the third verse of course it keeps escalating until the third verse when he's you know just about um, ripped his vocal cords out first of all I love how you can hear headphone bleed come in before you hear him go into the vocal so check this out Listen to the passion. I know what's coming to me is never going to arrive. Fresh blood through tired skin. New sweat to drown me in. Dress up this rotten gut is just to make it look alive. Oh, fuck. J- Jessica's so excited. Listening no, to that this. is just so amazing. I've never like it heard the isolated amazing. vocals like that. Awesome. And so to hear them for the first time like this. Yeah. I'm just amazed by like his and I love his the, ability. Yeah, like he's a I mean, this was a vocalist. You know, he was a young man. Uh, you know, we don't know if old man Trent can can do that anymore. But um, and then you know, vocally at the end, there's the quiet vocals. Let's see. I want you to make me. I want Jess you is gonna to get me. too too excited again. Make me. Then I want you. You to make me <laughs> stop making these faces, you, folks. You should see the faces she made. I'm blushing. I want you to make me. I want you to take me. Blake is blushing too. I'm not blushing. I'm. I've just been drinking. Her brain's exploding. Uh, okay, and going off of that, this is what I call pillow talk, and I'll tell you why. Okay. So listen to the listen to this part from that. That that extremely muffled. I want you to take me. 
Yeah. My theory is that it's him screaming through a pillow ah. or something like that. I can't think of any other way to make that sound without muffling your voice in an extreme way. Is that a common practice? No. no okay. Definitely not. But it sounds fucking awesome on the record. It really cuts through in a unique way. And I, I, I don't know how they did it, but I love the results. My guess is pillow. Of course, during that end section, there's interesting synthesized stuff going on. Just noisy. God knows how it was made. But I saved my favorite part for last. Uh, it's in the final chorus, and I... I call it uh, the horror part. You isolate it and it's like pure horror movie and I fucking love it. You can barely hear it in the in the full mix, but... he never scored a pure horror film I was thinking about that recently that just that high that high thing and then just some percussive noise after it but yeah like you know David Fincher and all this stuff is all well and good all well and good but Mm -hmm. he and Atticus if Atticus wants should definitely do some horror like Maybe they're it was past- like uh, Dave Dave Eggers, the the film director. No, Robert. I'm oh, sorry, edit that. Dave Eggers. Get with uh, Robert Eggers, the film director, or Dave Eggers, the writer. Sure. Whatever. I um, mean, Robert with- Eggers is one of my favorite new film directors. You get, know this. Yeah, he's great. Get with whoever made it follows. You know. Uh, I think he's that director has been kind of forgotten because he made Under the Silver Lake and it wasn't oh, good. Oh right. I don't but know if that's I've it, I've heard it was Josh described it as bonkers along the line of like Southland Tales. Uh, oh, I hope it's not that bad, but I've heard I've heard good things about things. But it follows as a great horror film with an amazing, unique electronic soundtrack. Uh, so it just made me think of that. But yeah, like this and Downward Spiral are so horror movie and so perfect. The noises mm-hmm. that he comes. I up guess with. that the closest they've done is when they like did a a, a re like and in their own interpretation of John Carpenter's Halloween, which is great. yes, that is an amazing. I'm so glad we we got that on vinyl. That's a that's a great artifact. Okay, so all right. Immediately after last comes track four, "Help Me, I'm in Hell," another brief instrumental. Where did the very, song title come from? Is it from um, Hellraiser? Hellraiser 2. Hellbound. <laughs> Hellbound. Okay. Um, is it just, I guess he's just a horror movie fan and just. Well, a big Clive Barker fan. Too. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, we, there were. Probably there buddies. Clive Barker stuff in Sin. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so strange that there are, I guess, four real songs on the EP and two short instrumentals mm-hmm. and two bonus songs. Which are both covers or re-recording. Right. Yeah. So here, anyway, help me, I'm in hell. Jess was asking me about the guitar style on this song. And my best guess is that it's, for the first time on this record, we're hearing guitars that are not run through a extreme amount of distortion. It's more of a clean guitar tone. 
and there might be acoustic guitar underneath there. It's hard for me to tell. Sounds like it sometimes. But it's the first time you hear this sort of thing in the Nine Inch Nails discography as far as I know, if we're not counting the acoustic guitar in kinda I want to purest feeling. I love this one, personally. Just the atmosphere of it's so great. It does sound like, you know, being trapped in hell. Once again, it kind of gives you this dread feeling. Yeah, dread, darkness, anxiety. I love the the chord structure, that that bass part. So, okay, pay attention to the booming, the booming sounds, the low booms in the background. A lot of noise just increasing in volume. and strumming boom okay those low booms so legend has it Mm -hmm. that yeah it just kind of fades out on these booms for a while those those are apparently from the empire strikes back the star wars movie is that correct uh i think so and I took a little time to try to track it down. I'm going to say, did you, do you read somewhere specifically what it was taken from? I don't know, like some TIE fighters are doing some shit. If you guys think yeah. I have my Star Wars memorized, I, I think I it's, well, I'm nerdier than you a yes. little bit. And I think it's from, the, there's a scene where TIE fighters are bombing or TIE, tie bombers. I should say they're called TIE bombers. Sorry. And they drop bombs um, on an asteroid. <laughs> where the Millennium Falcon is hiding. And it may be the the sound of those bombs. I couldn't find a good clip. I think that's what it is. It's either that or when the, the probe droids are landing at the very beginning of the film. They're like shooting down, like shooting like asteroids landing. And uh, they are, are falling to the surface of Hoth and, and hitting the snow and making those booming noises. I could have that all screwed up. It's probably the tie. tie it sounds like thing. a bomb hitting snow to me. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah. Someone's going to uh, point out our error. I'm sure of that. Sure. So the next track is may- maybe Blake. Mm-hmm. It may be my favorite on Broken. And it's okay. hard for me to pick one. God, I don't know if I have a favorite. Because I love them all. They are all my children. Yeah. They're all good. I love them so much. But this one might be, and I want to maybe... Uh, talk about why first the title and I've never read this book it's a short erotic fiction book called the story of O Hmm. by uh, Paula Rayage I'm not sure how to pronounce the name but it is an erotic story and it is basically about maybe uh, forced female submission Hmm. by that I mean not uh something that was maybe agreed upon by all parties before oh. <laughs> it was yeah um but it is possible that that he got the title from the preface of that book which i've never oh. read this book i've heard about it i've had it recommended to me because i've asked before like hey what erotic fiction I'm should i read <laughs> i never read this one. of course you would ask look that. i'm working through a uh, francesca leah block's work of i'm erotic shocked you fiction haven't read right it now. you've re- you read a lot of horny books like what are the horny books i've read we literally just talked about one. Oh, yeah, like, Wifey by Duty Bloom. But that was for a, a podcast. Of, you, yeah, that You're acting Francesca. like I have nothing but 
You read, you read trash and porn. He's acting like I have nothing but bodice rippers on my nightstand, <laughs> and that is not true. All these Fabio covers. No. Happiness uh, and slavery. Yes. So I really love this song. At the time I was really listening to this, I was also starting to get into things like Riot Girl. So like Bikini Kill and Sleater Kinney and... I'm not going to, L7's not really Riot Girl. They're metal. They're mm-hmm. like based out of LA too, but they're kind of lumped in with yeah. that. But I was starting to get into like really, um, like really angry music. Mm-hmm. And I was full of a lot of self-loathing. Mm. And, Me too. Me too. Yeah, totally. And I got a lot of catharsis by playing this song. Yeah. And I found an essay from medium.com by a writer named Jude Ellison S. Doyle. That's a hell of a name. But anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> so she's this author is talking about why maybe teenage girls can relate to Nine Inch Nails better than maybe even men or Trent Reznor himself can because he doesn't know what he's created for teenage girls. Hmm. Okay. So they wrote teen girls loved Nine Inch Nails songs with those lyrics, all that jockey, cocky, screaming rage, all that raw male power that was supposed to scare or exclude us was relatable. Teenage girls get rage. They get self-hatred. Teenage girls know what it's like to want to cuss and scream and fuck and thrash around incoherently because you don't have the agency to do those things. Don't open your eyes. Take it from me. I have found you can find happiness in slavery. What is that but the feminine condition sung really, really loud? And I was like, Mm-hmm. Thank you. You like this MF spitting. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That makes sense to me. Yeah, and I really related to this song, so let's. So did I. Let's and play it. it. Yeah. It's so fucking dirty and grunt. Jessica is, is miming, is mouthing the screams. When I first heard it, I was just like, it's another one of those, what is this? It's so... Definitely. It's all distortion. It's pure noise until the chorus. The chorus is... It's all noisy. Yes. But the chorus has more of a melody. Yes. Here we go. We get this disco beat, okay? Yes. This reminds me of Closer. This is like the precursor. Because it's got kind of a funky bass line mm-hmm. and a disco got beat. A great bass line. Which you hear again in Closer. Great, great groove to this song. Then the verse comes back in, and once again, you're just like, "Okay, I love this." The guitar, chugga 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 chugga, the chugga chugga guitar. We love the chugga chugga. Is great. Shrieking his guts out, and then we add that this ascending guitar part. I just love how it builds and builds in vocal intensity. And I mean, we have obviously there's a lot of BDSMs to get to get into, but it is about there are different levels here. But talking about you know enjoying being enslaved, chained up. There's a very submissive 
You know what I'm saying. <laughs> that, that kinky BDSM shit. Yes. Okay. Oof, my faves. This is an instrumental break bridge for the Love ages. Love this bridge. There's nothing like it. This is another thing that I call literally industrial. So we hear the sounds of industry. Like pistons or something. I don't yeah. even know. It's it, amazing. We could be watching like a, a, a an industrial <sighs> film about a factory. Just machines it's breaking like, down. Just I just imagine footage of a factory that makes like monstrous half machine, half man that American Monsters. Psycho meme when Christian Bale's making that face and it's like any Nine Inch Nails fan when, when broken machinery when they hear broken when they machinery. hear broken machinery and yeah great yeah. Lyri- classic lyrics on this part and this is where we get the term broken machine some flesh this big broken machine back into that disco funk that that bass is really the star of the show here I would I I want to know where some of the sounds on that on the bridge came from those really dark industrial sounds I don't know but we may never know and the, like the vocal effects on that bridge are so insane. Like I don't know what processing they're being put through, but they sound—it all sounds so tortured. And that happens a lot on this album. Another long outro with some interesting background vocals that does come up shortly here. chaotic and dirty song screaming his lungs out do you think he had to like recover for a week after doing each song yes I think you kind of start to hear some of the whispers come up. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts out to just the whispers. That controls you. Controls you. Happiness. Controls you. What is happiness that controls you? You know, it's just blinding uh, your senses. I don't know. Uh, I don't know to like you know, capital and shit. Just. I, I think the song's about capital. It's all about capital. Yeah, you could kind of ascribe any anything you're angry about to this song. You really can. To many of these songs. You, you can. Uh, Just get your anger out. That's what it's about. Uh, I don't have much else to You know, to it's easier to one. live in your comfort zone and to uh, think you're happy and let that control you, whether yeah. it's through the pursuit of money or 
mm-hmm. acquiring things than it is to get out of your comfort zone and actually see what's happening around you and try to do something about it. Right. Right. Somebody smarter than us <laughs> said that something about like awakening. Fuck. I don't remember something to do. You know, the matrix talks about it. It's painful. It's, it's, it's extremely painful and visceral to be awakened or, um, I don't know, to have your worldview changed around, right? It's one of the most painful things you can go through. So that's why we'd rather be just stay happy and chained up or whatever. <laughs> Is that no, what? You don't want to think about it. You I don't, don't want to open your no, eyes because exactly. you won't like you what won't you see. You won't like what you see. The Definitely. devils of truth steal the souls of the free. Okay. The final track of the official EP proper. Should we move on to that? Let's do it. Let's do Gave Up. Gave Up. This one was with Flood. All right. A mm-hmm. Flood and Trent Reznor joint. Fan favorite staple of live shows. Listen for that Mellotron. This noises. That drum beat is insane like is it electronic is it real it's not real but i thought there was some real drums on this there is later but not this this part is so the vocal effects on this it's like running through running through the fan you know very Mm -hmm. gated stuttery it sounds so tortured the way he performs it then it opens up later but Now we're back into that that fast beat metal mode. And then, okay, so now the real drums are in. Lots of guitar. Jess is just having a sing along, having a good old time. L- okay, a little synth thing solo. Another Broken Machine reference coming up. Oh, right. Of course, smashing myself to pieces. That's taken from Now I'm Nothing. What is covered in Vaseline? Why is he covered in Vaseline? Because he wants to try to fix it with lubrication. I don't know. (laughs) I always wondered about that line. (laughs) What I love... This song does is similar to Wish. I love that... There's a double volume increase, and I'll describe it here. Okay, here's the first volume increase. It's like, oh, we're rocking out now. Oh, you thought we were rocking out? We haven't begun to rock out yet. Here it goes. Oh, we just opened it up even more. Now you're rocking even harder. It's a double deception. Vocal effects, just insane. It's hard to, I don't know, there's not much to say other than just to rock out to it. (laughs) 
was this solo thing. This was my most played song of uh, 2020. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why do you think it was this one out of all the songs? I don't know, man. I... Course, it's one of the great Nine Inch Nails songs. I don't it know really that it's my favorite. It really is. I just, I maybe something about it hit me last year, and I just wanted to hear it over and over. It's kind of like a fuck everything. Yeah. This whole album is a fuck everything album. But you know, smash myself to pieces, throw it away. If you're feeling down, man, this is the song speaks to you. Should we talk about the um, the music video that yeah. goes with this song? That not the broken movie one, but no, the, there uh, are two versions of the video. Yeah, but we'll we'll talk about it once the song's over. And so the song completely descends into noise, and that's how the album ends with just a chaotic noise destruction. All right, so two versions of the video. One that was on the broken movie. The broken movie was a film that we'll talk about in a bonus episode. But right. basically, the version of Gave Up, they decided, uh, went too far. And <laughs> uh, for that reason, far, yeah. the broken movie itself was never released because of the gave up just they gave i mean they gave up goes but pretty think far, about but the whole movie i guess there are far. some like interstate like interstitial yeah yeah sequences in between each video it's all a and which film. we'll talk about but the, the rest of the videos were released on like the closure video like you can true, see true you know pinion and you can see wish and wish played on mtv like it's not like true those it's were the not interstitial the snuff film stuff that's and most. gave up yeah 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 so there was another version of the gave up video that was made i believe i don't know if mtv ever played it or not but it was definitely on the closure vhs because i had it and it's a live recording of the band rocking out in the tate house yeah it's definitely not the mix that we hear on the album although it is very similar to it Mm -hmm. It, it, the video is just of them playing at the tate house like in the studio in the control room of the studio to be specific i can't tell for certain if what we're hearing is the actual live like for example, March of the Pigs, we're just hearing a live recording of what's going on. This sounds more polished than that to me, but I, I can't really say. Um, it is interesting to see all this going on at the Tate House. It, it starts with an exterior shot of the Tate House and the, the Sharon Tate pool. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool, unique, and pretty house. It is a pretty house, and it looks like it's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, private like it doesn't it's 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 secluded on its own little hill you know it's in beverly hills for god's sake um but in the inside i think it's really cool how they turned the inside of this beautiful house into a recording studio so you see some that place smelled like sweaty probably (laughs) and there's a lot of people in in there so there's there's the people who are being in the band and then there's just like people watching in the control room of the studio so one of the first things you see is, well, let's talk about the players involved here in the video. Okay. Of course, Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. Richard Patrick's there. Richard Patrick sporting his newly shaved head. Uh-huh. Chris Verena. Chris Verena's on the drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Lee Brian, Wait, who? did I say that right? You say his name. I was about to say Brian Warner. Oh, I was going to say Brian Lisa Gang was there. Who's that? 
I don't know. It's just listed on this thing. Was, it was he, he the guy running the Pro Tools Maybe. Rig? Maybe. Brian Warner, apparently some guy who had a side project called Marilyn Manson. <laughs> um, he's pretending to play guitar and sing. Um, That's what Blake thinks. I don't know. I, I don't I, know. From what I've read, he's pretending to play guitar. I don't know. I admit it. It seems like the guitar part doesn't seem that difficult. It's not. But I guess if I knew nothing, I, I don't know how much he of a guitar player he was at the time or how much he knew. I but may, I've, I, I've heard rumors that he was faking it. Yeah, that's that's the rumor. That's the legend. Yes. Um, and then some random people watching. On the computer and monitor. Some, Are you going to say what I'm going to say? No, go ahead. On the computer monitor, I um, allegedly there's a message that says, fuck you, Steve, which is a jab at oh my God. Steve Gottlieb. So I'm wondering if it's just like a I scrolling, like, well, I've never caught it either. And so, I should have looked for it tonight. But I'm wondering if it's just one of those screensavers where you just type a message and it just scrolls across it. Like, hey, well, a kid. I don't think it's that because they have what they have is they have Pro Tools open. Oh, okay. Which, okay so this is 1992. Let me look something up real quick. When was... Pro Tools created. 1991. So one of the first things you see in the video is a dude on a DigiDesign branded mouse pad. DigiDesign is the company that invented Pro Tools uh, industry standard software. This is Pro Tools had only been out for a year. So you see, you know, on an old Macintosh, they're they're running Pro Tools while they're playing the song in the studio. I just it's funny that like one of the action shots is a dude moving a mouse around. Um I wonder if they got any 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 product placement money for that for that DigiDesign mouse pad. But yeah, Pro Tools was a new thing uh back then. So, so you're trying to find the interface? Is that what you're looking for? No, I'm just saying Oh, okay. You know, maybe one of the tracks was named, uh, somebody knows this, and we uh, I don't have it pulled up to go pause it right now, but they could have named one of their tracks, you know, like Fuck You Steve or whatever. Um, I don't think it was a screensaver. I think it was something embedded into Pro Tools. But anyway, it's it's just a recording, a live recording of the song, so it's different from the version on yeah. the it's, EP. It sounds good and polished, though. Yes. Not rough like March of the Pigs. March of the Pigs still sounds good, but you know what I mean. Yes. So, not... An interesting video, nicely shot, not that wildly unique and unusual. Just something to stand in for the the offensive snuff film that they originally did, I guess. Uh, Marilyn Manson cameo, though, for those who are interested. So without makeup. No, that is, this is okay. This is before he had a career as Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. We should point out it's before his first album dropped, and I guess it was when he and Trent were hanging out, and he was. You know, helping him get started, I guess. Probably, yeah. Anyway. When did Smells Like Children come out? Well, that was after the first album, right? No, that was their first. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Their first one was Portrait of an American Family. I'm sorry. Yeah. When did that one come out? 1994 was Portrait of an American Family. So a little bit, a few years after that gave up. Okay, so it was 96. It was Annie Cry Superstar, right? Yep. So, Okay. So where were we? Are we moving on to the two extra bonus tracks? Let's do the bonuses. The first one is a, a cover, cover of Adam Ant's physical Your So from Kings of the Wild Frontier. I believe it came out in 1978. I love early Adam Ant. So Is it Adam Ant or Adam and the Ants? Adam and the Ants at this point. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And then he went solo. Mm-hmm. Do I play the... Uh, cover first play a little bit of it we don't have to play the whole thing but just to let people kind of hear okay so do you mean the original 
Yes, of the original, sorry. Physical, parenthetically, or so. Yes. Yo, so, go! Now, that part is missing from the Nine Inch Nails cover. How come Trent doesn't scream, Yo, so, go? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. Do you hear the part where he says, eat your heart out? Eat, eat your heart out, do it. Yeah. That part is also missing from the cover. No, it's not. He changes it to eat your heart out, Steve. Wait, really? Yes. You've never noticed that? Is it buried? Oh, my God. No, I thought it was pretty prominent, but... How the fuck did I... You'll hear it in a minute. He really fucking hated Steve. Yeah. Steve must have done him real wrong. <gasps> Let's just never get on his bad side, because I don't want to hear him... Well, maybe I do want to hear him say, eat your heart out, Jessica, because I'd be fine with that. So... My opinion, it, well, I mean, it's a similar tempo, similar groove. And Trent has said it's a tongue-in-cheek cover of the song, by the kinda way. Kind of like maybe the Queen cover was. It's kind of reminiscent of that, the uh, Get Down, But, you know, love. he does like Adam Ant. Like, yeah, definitely. And Adam Ant, even in, like, 1995, came on stage and for, like, they did two nights of shows in New York, and he came on stage for both of those, and at one point... Uh, wow. To perform physical. And at one point he said, it's nice to be on stage with the best fucking band in the world. And I, I know Trent has made comments like, because the, the audience was like, who the fuck is this old dude on stage with Trent? And he's like, like guys, it's Adam fucking Ant. And like the kids are like, we don't fucking know who this Did is. He's also... like, oh yeah, they're kids. Like <laughs> They don't know who, like it's all like 16 year olds. Did they and... also say that for David Bowie? <laughs> who the fuck is this old dude? I don't know. Uh, probably not for David Bowie. So the Nine Inch Nails cover, physical. Listen for I'm Eat listening. Your Heart Out. Do you hear it? I just... Was that heard the first it, time you've the ever heard time. that? He whispers it. It's literally whispered in the background. Okay. I didn't know that. Wow. I'm stupid. Wow. And then... I think I do like the vocal performance in this a little more. It's just different styles. <laughs> yeah, I mean. definitely very different from Adamant stuff. There's a lot of uh, low roar noises you're going to hear in the background. I think this might be the sound of the dog. Maisie? Yeah, Maisie's in the uh, liner notes. I guess Trent's dog, right? Mm-hmm. I think we think they come up later, but you hear a lot. It sounds like maybe a manipulated, like slowed down dog bark or something. That could be what it is. Yeah, and there's also a sample in here where Sean Beaven was playing with the dog and it bit him while they were playing, and he goes, "Ow, fucker!" So, <laughs> can you hear that part? I think so. You'll have to point it out to me. Very similar, slow and sludgy. There are some like electronic hits 
added in. There's some of that low roar. Could be the doggy. You hear that? Yes. Now by verse two here, he is really getting aggressive and screaming with the vocals. He's, again, shredding his lungs. Where's the dog biting part? This is fine to me, but I don't like it as much. I like like the cover of um, the Queen song. Yeah, I think maybe that's a little more interesting, just because you know it's slow and draggy. If I had to, if I had to throw one song out on Broken, which I wouldn't want to do, but. Well, I don't even consider this part of Broken. No, really, I mean, yeah, so. it's a bonus track, whatever, but it's... If we're considering all eight tracks, maybe this is my least favorite. I'd probably agree with that. It's hard to hear what's going on. There's a lot of, a lot of noise going on here. This part. Does Adam Ant say too fucking physical? This part sounds like he's eating the microphone. <laughs> he's about to devour it. All right, so the very final track is Suck, a song that I think is fucking awesome. Are you going to talk about the Suck controversy? Is there a con- what's the controversy? It's, I don't think it's a big controversy. Maybe it is to other people. I don't know. So, "Suck" was actually a song that was originally recorded for like a kind of a Martin Atkins had a group called Pigface, and it was kind of just like a rotating crew of musicians mm-hmm. um, in the industrial scene. And Trent Reznor recorded vocals and co-wrote "Suck" with them for their 1991 album. I think it was called Gub, G-U-B. Yeah. Um, and 
So he re-recorded it for Broken. Yeah. Well, the controversy has to do with the way that the song is credited on Broken. Normally on Pig Face albums, it's very like egalitarian. So it's like everyone is listed. So it would list like Atkins, Rieflin, Barker, Reznor, right? Mm-hmm. All the people who contributed were listed as writers. Whereas on Broken, Reznor listed it or whoever listed it as T. Reznor slash Pig Face. So did not credit the musicians individually mm-hmm. like it was on the Pig Face album. Um, in 1993, Pig Face released a live album called Truth Will Out. And in the liner notes for that, their writing credit for Suck is whatever Trent says, really, no shit. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. So just kind of like, you know, whatever Trent says, that's who the writer is. So okay. Reznor says that he came in at the end of the recording session for that day, laid down the vocals over um, some drum snippets that they had. Mm-hmm. He said he never really liked the recording. He reworked it, like the arrangement, presented it to the group, has said that they even performed it live together, kind of like the broken version. And I've seen And then recorded it for broken. Yeah. So I guess what he's trying to say is like, it shouldn't have been a surprise. Like I showed them how I reworked this and we even played it together. I I don't know. I don't know if it's a made up controversy. To me, it's not even a controversy because they are credited, but maybe they just see it as a slight slight. I don't know. Right. So. I Well, the pig face version that I heard is does not sound like this version. No, they're completely different. Do you have a little bit of the pig face yeah, queued I'll up? Yeah, I'll play it. To me, it's kind of boring, honestly. I think it's interesting just because it is so different from the broken version. Suck, suck, suck. <laughs> So it's just, it's this drum and Trent's vocals over it. Not a lot else. fine sure but there's no there's no melody there's Mm-mm. no groove and the the song suck on broken is very groovy yeah let's play it there we go that weird little drum machine thing don't know where it comes from all right that beats funky Mm-hmm. This is more like a pretty hate machine type beat right here. Yeah, it definitely kind of feels like it could have gone on there. And it was from that era between pretty hate machine and broken. Mm-hmm. And they dropped the funkiest bass line you ever heard. Not really, but one of the funkier bass lines of a Nine Inch Nail song, maybe. Or at least unbroken. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. I do love it. Like, you can groove out to this. It's like full, full funk mode. When it gets to the chorus, we're back in full metal mode. Yeah, 
because of how hard this rocks, it, this is later on they do a great live version of this. It's on like the, I believe it's on the live out. I don't remember. I know it's on the DVD and all that could have been for Fragility Tour. It may not be included on the live album and all that could have been, but I know it's on the show. I can't remember either. Let me double check that though. It's a great live one though. May not have been deemed worthy of the uh, <laughs> live album. It is. Oh, is it? It's right after Wish and before Closer. Oh, nice. All right. Well, good. Good for Suck for making it on. This is I the thought one, it was. I just wanted to make sure. This is the song that I feel could almost be a part of Broken. I do understand why it's not. Why? Why? Or why it's a bonus extra track rather than part of the EP proper. But yeah, definitely like it better than, than the physical cover. Interesting stuff. But coming up is my favorite part. Is the bridge your favorite part? I'll turn it up here. I know the bridge is my one of my favorites in happiness and slavery. Oh yeah, go. everyone likes this part. <laughs> feel so dirty or I am so dirty on the inside so this and every girl's like let me clean you shut up (laughs) taking the volume way way the fuck down so you have to turn up your stereo this is something this is the first time they do this but it comes back on Mr. Self Destruct comes back on later on with teeth later on back again and again an ultra quiet bridge that and then the volume shoots back up again for that final chorus it's kind of a trope they do but it works and it's got a they usually do a great bass line so fully going nuts with the guitars here What are we... Suck! Why are we being told to suck? <laughs> it's a cool outro. Wait for those whispers. Oh. More funk. is good the way it ends on the whispers uh oh stop she's mouthing it to me folks I'm uncomfortable love how that ends yeah I want to do terrible things to you that's the end of broken it's over so let's wrap this up just a quick uh, just some 
to some terms used to describe Broken from music journalists and critics. Um, Rolling Stone, in a 1994 article mm-hmm. where they profile Trent Reznor, called it intriguingly unlistenable. <laughs> Stereolab has said that listening to Broken at high volume is like watching magnesium burn. Uh, do they mean that in a good way? Yes, I think they do. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Chris Heath in Details Profile of Reznor's uh, s- described Broken as a nasty, mixed-up splurge of unfocused hate and despair. Wow. Um, AJ Ramirez from Pop Matters said that Broken is quite possibly the greatest recording ever issued in extended play form. <laughs> and, I mean, it is one of the great EPs of all, the t- of all time, I do want to say that. No, I totally agree. One of the strongest EPs I've ever heard. I mean, name five EPs that have affected you in a right. way that Broken no, has. Not, I can't. I can't do it. I'm really thinking. Hold on. Uh, Body Talk Part One by Robin. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, ba- those that count? barely count. No, it doesn't. I mean, I mean, it does. Yeah. But I. This is this carries the weight of a full fledged album. Like it's a, as. Important I mean, I called an it an album, album accidentally right. earlier, and I was I like, mean, oh, it fuck. kind of is. It kind of is. It's a collection of songs that go together very well. Yes. So. And I think Reznor has even said that they he kind of purposely wanted it to be that way. You know, he wanted it yeah. to be something that the first time you came to it, you were like, what the fuck am I listening to? Yeah. I, I don't like this. That's, that's kind of how I was. But yeah. to be intrigued enough to it that you come back to the album and maybe by the fifth time you're like, okay, I'm getting it. Mm-hmm. And maybe by the 10th time you're just obsessed with it. And I think yeah. that's exactly how it played out for me. I think so. Um, I mean, I can't remember the exact quote. That's just me kind of paraphrasing uh, his words. But... I mean, that's all I've got um, as far as that goes. Okay. Do you want to do ratings? Yeah, we we give every Halo a rating in inches or out of nine, out of nine inches. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know how you would rate broken out of nine yes. inches? Okay. I'm going to give it a whole foot. I'm giving it 12 <laughs> oh inches. Oh, my God. Hold on, that's not really. I was giving like more like a two feet there. Yeah, she's doing this thing with her arms that's like three feet. Yeah. Okay, that's more. I mean, I'll I'll ask you to explain in a second. But I was thinking, is there anything I don't like or think is bad? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything I think is bad. Physical is just kind of okay to me, but it's it's like a bonus. So whatever. The 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 initial six tracks are eh, basically perfect to me. I was. I think I was going to say a nine, like a perfect nine, because mm-hmm. nine is perfect. Twelve is off the damn scale. So you have to explain yourself for that. I just don't know. Like I said, I came to this at a weird point where I started with Downward Spiral, went to Pretty Hate Machine, and then I think I I think I told you that I traded a friend to get Broken, right? And Broken was yeah. just so unexpected for me, for what it was. Like, I did not expect that at all. And I related to it in such a strange way almost immediately and i got a lot of just catharsis listening to it and getting out like my anger like i i was a latchkey kid my mom worked in bolivar we lived in marshfield it was like a you know 45 minute commute i would come home after school she went to go home until like six seven uh she had a second job too so sometimes i'd be home alone until like 10 p.m mm-hmm. and i would just blast music and I don't know. I just love this album. I think it's a great bridge between Pretty Hate Machine and The Downward Spiral. Yeah, for sure. I think it's got so many signature tracks. Maybe two of them might be like in my top five favorite Nine Inch Nails tracks. Like I can't even 
what wait or happiness and slavery and gave up <sighs> maybe wish instead of gave up i'm not certain on those two i don't even know if i could pick a favorite song because they're like so all so neck and neck and equally yeah. great i mean i would say definitely happiness and slavery would be in my top five all-time favorites Okay. I don't think I could choose between gave up and wish, but I love last a lot. Last is also good. Like you. Yeah. And there's no singles off of this record. So there were videos though. Like wish yeah, had a video videos, that had MTV they, airplay. They did that. Yeah. 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 But no, no, no touring. Official, yeah. No touring for this damn thing. No singles. It's like as underground as it gets. Not really, but you know, like as underground as it gets for something released on a like, major label. Right. It's like a, <laughs> it's, in a way it's a, in a, in a literal way, it was a secret record. I don't know. I'm, yeah. It's it's great. I just can't think of anything wrong with it. And in fact, I think it's better than perfect. Okay. Because that, it carries a lot of emotional weight for me. A bold and, claim. We'll wait mm-hmm. till I give the fragile a 20 okay. inches. So. We'll wait till you see what I give the downward spiral, buddy. Okay. So okay. we have nine inches and 12 uh-huh. inches. Yes. A foot long. A full foot long. That's a whole submarine sandwich. $5 um, foot long. Yeah. Okay. So... So all non-Halo content is going to be put into bonus episodes. We have one on purest feeling. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we have some other fun extras, and we're gonna be doing the broken Oops. movie soon. Yep, that'll be fun. Um, before we go out, though, I do have a question of the ep. Mm-hmm. So it was recently announced that Reznor and Ross are producing the newest album for Halsey. Yeah, which you and I are stoked about. We are Halsey fans. Yeah. Before this was I, announced. I liked her before. We yeah. did. Um, we're pop heads around here too. I'm a big pop head. So my my question of the episode is if you had your choice of a pop star wish list that you wish that they would work with, who would it be? And I have mine. Oh, do man. Do we to do mine? Yeah. Okay. So my first one is I'd love to hear them work with Karen O again. She's not really yeah. a pop star per se, but I loved the... the yeah. The version of the of immigrant song immigrant that they song recorded for, for Girl with the Dragon. Dragon Tattoo. That was perfect. That was a perfect pairing. Uh, just a great ass. And she's such a great vocalist. Everything about it was great. She's so amazing. Um, my other thought, I put down Grimes, but then I wrote, but she doesn't deserve it because of Elon Crimes. So <laughs> Grimes, answer for Elon's crimes. Yes. Okay. Leave All him. Right. You have his child. Girl. Leave him you and got his take child. several billion dollars with you. You got a paycheck for life. You don't um, have to stay with him. She pro- Actually, you know what? They're not married. So he's he's got her under his damn thumb. What the fuck? She ever. would still get child support. What a de- what depressing shit. Yeah, you, you, she could probably get a few mil a month at, at minimum. And that's all you need. Although I think her goal is to become a bionic woman. So I think she might need his billions. <laughs> yeah. So Grime, the thing is, Grimes is like a self-producing. She is. Yes. Self-taught. She doesn't need their help. No. To engineer. But I shit. might like to hear that. It would be interesting. It would be. Okay. So my other selection was Kim Petras, who I put yeah. down as my spooky dance queen. If you don't know her, check out her album, Turn Off the Light. It's just all it's great, spooky. Great, great, great. Halloween themed like dance music. It's great. Kim Petras needs a new producer very badly because you know who her current producer is? I don't. I don't I we shouldn't get into this, but it's Dr. Luke. <gasps> Oh, Dr. Luke, the Kesha, Dr. Luke puts together 
good pop songs. There's no denying it. But he is also a, an evil person mm-hmm. at his core. So she does need to move on to someone better. Yes. Um, <laughs> My other suggestions, one was Feist. I think her, she had an album called Metals that was kind of like dark. And I would like to, okay. I think she's a great vocalist. I think she's also a great songwriter and um, a musician as well. So it could be kind of cool. Sure. And my final one was our newest up-and-coming pop star, Olivia Rodrigo. There we go. Yeah. I would listen to that for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, she's a little dark. She says, where's my fucking teenage dream? <laughs> like in the, the first song, track. Brutal is so good. <laughs> Brutal might be my favorite track of it's, 2021 it's, so far. It's a banger. It's a theme banger of the year. Don't judge me. So, it's definitely a teen banger of the year. Um... Those are my those are my picks. Okay. You? Uh, I I'm gonna agree with your picks. I don't know. I also thought Robin, but Robin is also someone who I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. Really would benefit maybe from that. I think she's great as she is and with her current collaborators. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything to add other. Than, <laughs> I mean, Halsey's already being worked on, and and mm-hmm. what you said I think is good. So. Cool. So I think on to to close us out. I do want to say that there is one way in the world that you know that you are cool and that you rock and that you're hard as fuck. And that is if Beavis and Butthead like you. Oh, shit. So let's close it out with Beavis and Butthead talking about Wish. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. And in two weeks, we're going to do Fixed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we'll have a bonus up by then of Broken. In, be- in between. Broken movie. Yeah, in, in one week will be Broken Movie, the bonus episode, if if you're a subscriber. Two weeks will be fixed. We'll leave you with some classic Beavis and Butthead commentary. I've been Blake. I've been Blake with Nailed. I've been Jessica. Now, didn't that make you feel better? What's that noise? <laughs> <laughs> This is like that movie, Beyond Superdome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> How come all these videos have cages in them? <laughs> because they're cool. <laughs> this is like a zoo where they keep cool people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, Beavis, (laughs) do you have a nine-inch nail?